Hello and welcome to episode number 33 of News of the Nerd, the podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, comic books, and anything else remotely nerdy. And to celebrate its 60th anniversary, today we'll be talking about Doctor Who and its recent specials. I am Ben and I'm here with my brother slash co-host, Jason. How are we, Jason? I'm not doing too bad. I'm feeling very festive. I am feeling quite festive this year. But before we get into it, we are also joined with my colleague slash friend. Yes, I have friends slash special guest, TC. Hello, Ben. Hello, Jason. I'm so happy to be here with you podcasting rock stars. Can we start off? <laughs> I, have I have something that I'd like to uh, admit to you guys and the audience. I'm actually half human on my mother's side. <laughs> nice oh, reference. what an entrance <laughs> what an entrance oh are, are we all feeling quite festive i'm feeling very festive a little peek behind the curtain uh i don't know if you're gonna what days you're gonna be in the office ben but i've got a very special christmas jumper planned oh dear <laughs> can i retract the friend statement too late i over the last um, probably five or six years, I've been like accumulating Christmas jumpers and just buying one or two a year. So I've now got like a big enough collection that I wear Christmas jumpers all December. You can have your own outfit, calendar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the thing is, Jason, none of those jumpers are normal jumpers. They are not standard Christmas jumpers. None of them. Um, no, you're probably right. You don't just have one that's got a Christmas pudding or a Rudolph on there. Most of them are like nerdy Christmas jumpers. Uh, I've got a new Spider-Man one Ooh, this year. Okay. Something I don't have yet is a Doctor Who Christmas jumper. Oh, I do. I had it last <laughs> week. It's uh, uh, I think it must have been a guest from my amazing wife, and it's a snow TARDIS. Not, wow. No, I, I lied to you. It's a snow Dalek. Yeah. It's oh, I've just lost Dalek. all my Doctor Who cred. <laughs> <laughs> lost all credibility. Yeah. Yeah. Coming on the podcast because he said he's a big fan of Doctor Who, doesn't know the difference between a Dalek and a TARDIS. I'm in trouble. <laughs> and that bodes well. So, shall we start off just because obviously 60 years of Doctor Who. Do you know what? I feel like it feels like longer. Well, you haven't been alive it's for been the whole all your thing. life. <laughs> no, I know, but it just feels like it. It was longer because obviously there was a, quite a large gap between the older, what are we calling them, the Old Testament and the New Testament of Doctor Who? Well, I think classic Doctor Who and New Who is generally <laughs> how they're referred to. And they tend to call that period the wilderness years. That just It just sounds like you've walked out your door and gone, <laughs> I think it felt like a long time, probably because like, we were children at the time and it, like when we were growing up doctor who wasn't on tv yeah uh, but actually the 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 length of the gap i think it has been back now for longer than it was away really yeah okay, yeah because okay. um if you don't count the if you don't count the movie the, there was a gap from 89 to 2005 so that's what 16 years yeah so it wasn't actually gone for as long as you think and yeah since 2000 well, it's 18 years after 2005 isn't it so you're right kind of puts into perspective like the actual advancement on cinema and media as well yeah but to get into it shall we talk about how we actually got into doctor who 
Now, I've got a thing about this this little segment. I think you're going to correct me, Jason, because I've got a feeling you know the real reason I got into it, and I actually don't know. <laughs> well, you go on, you're, you're intrigued. So from what I remember, it was because you and Dad started watching it when it rebooted, and I just joined in and instantly was hooked. That's what I remember. Well, the first Doctor Who I actually remember watching with you actually is, I think, non-canonical Doctor Who. It was the original um, Peter Cushing film, Doctor Who and the Daleks. They're going to make it canonical at some point, though, I can imagine. I suppose it, it, maybe with the Timeless Child stuff, it kind hey, of is I'm, now. I mean, I mean, with the amount of retconning that went on in these specials, it, I won't be surprised. Um, but that that is the first Doctor Who I really remember watching, um, because then when I started watching Doctor Who proper, I was confused, like, why is he not a human who's built this machine? And Because it's, it's very different lore. In, in those films as to what it is in the TV show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I just, all I can remember, and I, I'm guessing I don't, how young was I when we watched that? I mean, it, you, so, so it came back in 2005. You were born in 98. Yeah. So I would say you were probably about but the, No, the movie, because I remember. Oh, the movie. I, I, remem- I remember me, you and dad all actually sitting down to watch the reboot. I do remember that. What what episode is the first episode you remember watching then? With the um I the first thing I remember is Christopher Eccleston and the uh animatronic what, the mannequins. The mannequins, yeah. Uh the nestine. The nestine consciousness, that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's what I remember. Okay, I was quite young, so that's that's as far back as I can remember my Doctor Who. It's interesting yeah. though because it, this I think does show how subjective memory is because you, you kind of you, you can convince yourself of memories. So when Doctor Who came back, I wasn't I wasn't particularly interested because Doctor Who had always been, and although I was interested in sci-fi, it had always been this kind of shitty low budget sci-fi tv series that i'd heard of and not had much interest like i said would watch the tv films it was around the same time we used to watch things like quantum leap so it was just like oh let's put this old fantastic um and so yeah i i i didn't watch doctor who as soon as it rebooted because i didn't think it was going to be any good i didn't think it was really going to appeal to me and then the first bit of new who I remember seeing, I was at a friend's house and I think their like younger brother had got it on. So it was kind of on in the background and it was the Slovene episode. And that kind of confirmed what I thought Doctor Who was and that I wasn't really going to be interested. Uh, which you know, I, I just saw like clips of it out of the corner of my eye. Can you please stop farting while I'm trying to save the world? <laughs> like, I, I now I now kind of love that episode. Um, but at the time when that was my first exposure to Doctor Who, yeah, I, I wasn't really interested. And then I saw, I think what must have been a rerun. I don't know if they repeated the Saturday episodes midweek or if they repeated the entire run after it was on. But I 
was at my grandma's house and flicking through for something on TV that we could both enjoy together and flicked on to Doctor Who and it was, it was the only thing on, so I left it on and it was the episode Father's Day. And wow. that had just so much emotional weight behind it and I couldn't yeah. believe it was the same show. And after watching that, I went home and... Um, this was the early 2000s, so I probably went on something like LimeWire and got myself all of Series 1 of Doctor Who to watch uh, and have continued watching ever since then. I know, yeah. obviously, knowing you, that must be a really good memory as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, but like, especially that episode, I think Doctor Who is one show that... I can't really think of another straight to the top of my head that can be so wacky, goofy, out of there, nonsensical in one scene and the next scene make you literally want to tear out your own heart. <laughs> like, it, it it just has... It can amalgamate that and it works. I think the only other shows I can think of like that are, are, are things that are like... have really... Like deep, serious themes, like go, going through them, things like Bojack Horseman, it springs to mind. Like, yeah, that can be wacky and goofy, but also uh, make you want to kill yourself uh, in the same scene. I w- I wasn't expecting a, a Bojack Horseman reference in this, but I'm really glad uh, that there is this. Uh, can we put a pin in that until we get to uh, talking about the Wild Blue Yonder? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I suppose I should probably give my origin story now. We love a good origin story. Spider-Man's had about seven. <laughs> uh, so you've, you've both you've mentioned some interesting things already that I think tie into mine because, you know, I'd say I definitely became a fan when it rebooted with Rose, like I'm sure a lot of us of our generation. But I'd always been vaguely aware of, of Doctor Who. I, I seem to think one time when my, my dad was was uh, playing cricket and I was just sort of sat in the clubhouse, I think one of the Peter Cushing movies was was on TV. So, like, it was in, you know, in, in my memory. And I remember at some point saying to um, my mum's partner down the line, I want to get into Doctor Who. I want to be shown Doctor Who. So he produced what was probably the VHS of the TV movie. So that was my first like Doctor Who thing I probably sat down and watching. And, you know, I, I do have a very uh, soft spot for it. I'm probably at some point going to get the uh, Blu-ray for it. And uh, but again, this is an idea of how young I was at the time when um, Sylvester McCoy regenerated into Paul McGann. I didn't realize it had become a different person. I can't fathom not noticing the difference now. <laughs> but uh, I remember telling you, so is that a different person now? Yes. <laughs> Keep watching. And um, and then, yeah, obviously nothing happened. I forgot about it. And um Funnily enough, uh, Ben, you've met my brother. Out of the two of us, he is the one that's actually played Doctor Who in a in a school play. Okay, <laughs> I was I was just about to go. Wait, wait, wait. Which episode? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, in a school play, they got him a great big scarf, dressed him up like Tom Baker, and uh, uh, oh my god, I, I think how he got great to say of a school. Yeah, I, I think you got to say something about a gravitic anomalizer. 
<laughs> and so now uh, that's just i'm like you know great he he's the one that's been the doctor but yeah so it's it's so it would be out of my out of my mind it was that thing that I, I was like tried when i was a kid and then i just happened to see probably christopher eccleston on tv saying oh doing an interview. oh yeah so doctor who's coming back next week and i'm the doctor and i'm like wait that's that thing that I that I'm interested in. So I, I you know, I watched it with my family because my my um I was probably watching it with my dad. Like he remembered when it aired. You know, he was a little kid when um the first episode happened, and I think he uh, he was a big fan for about the first year before he started playing out. Um, my mum's partner was a, a lifelong fan, and I just got hooked from, I think. I'm the doctor run for your life. So uh that is, is such yeah. a great uh first line. It's like hello Rose Tyler, I'm a doctor. Run for your life. <laughs> it's one of them like from you or with you. <laughs> I do love that that comeback episode, Rose, where uh, the the balls of it to wait like a good what is it, about ten minutes into the episode before you even see the doctor. Like yeah. it is all about Rose. And it is so it introduces you to the doctor along with her. She is like look, the companion's always meant to be the entry character, but I think sometimes it's done better than others. And Russell T. Davis is just a fantastic TV writer anyway. So I think he just knew, knew how to structure that. That he didn't have to give us like the TARDIS up front first shot. He could build us up to it. And then there's there's the line at the end that I always kind of love when he comes back out the TARDIS at the very end and he says, did I mention it's also a time machine? And obviously that's when Rose runs to the TARDIS. And I think just because, maybe because we are English and we have this like background knowledge of Doctor Who just in the collective consciousness, I remember like watching that and like, of course she didn't know it was a time machine. Like it never occurred to me that anyone would not know that the TARDIS <laughs> is a time machine. Yeah. Unless they say what TARDIS stands for, like it just wouldn't click. They'd just think, oh, yeah. you've got a weird spaceship kind of thing. Yeah, because in that episode, they didn't actually time travel, did they? They just moved yeah. from one place to another. But yeah, I, I thought it was a like really well thought out. Like, oh, yeah, of course, you need to tell him that. I think like Russell T. Davis is just the, the best writer for this. He is a brilliant writer, but he just seems to always get it right with Doctor Who in a way. There's there's very, very few of his episodes that I think are below par. Obviously, some are better than others, and that's always going to happen, but I don't think I can think of any that are like, I don't want to watch this. I think a lot of people rate Love and Monsters quite lowly. Um, and that's, I, I don't think he, he was the writer for it, but he was showrunner at, at that time, wasn't he? I can find out who wrote it if you give me a moment. Um, it, it was it was written by Russell T. Davies. Oh, there we go. But I, I remember the last time I, I, I re-watched that one, and I, I remember, like, I quite, in, I quite enjoyed, um, like... Elton and I wrote I remember thinking Camille Kaduri was genuinely 
excellent in that episode. Like just her performance was fantastic. And I think I think it's fair to say, please correct me if I'm wrong, most people's real memories of that sh- of that episode is the sort of the last 10 minutes or so where it goes wild. Yeah, it's the absorbalot stuff, isn't it? That I like it, it's a weird villain. It really didn't need Peter K in there. I have a, a, a personal gripe with the Absorbalot because I, I guess you guys probably know My sister was absorbed, that's why. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Um, that the reason it came to be was that there was a competition on Blue Peter where yeah. kids could design a monster for the show, and that was obviously the winner. I entered that competition, and I'm still angry that my dragon man with a sword called Rigel, who was a bounty hunter, didn't get put in this show at six o'clock on the BBC for some reason. <laughs> Rigel, I love that name. <laughs> Um, I remember being asked, is it because your next door neighbour is called Nigel? No. <laughs> Just I... going through all letters to see what works instead of the N. Nigel, <laughs> Kigel, Sigel, Rigel. Rigel works. <laughs> I think it's kind of weird that the fandom as a whole doesn't connect so much with that episode when it is, in essence, an episode about fandom. That's yeah. probably why. Like the... <laughs> There's a mirror held up to you, <laughs> yeah. and they don't like what they see. <laughs> the group in um, in the episode are basically a group of Doctor Who fans. To be fair, when I was in university, I joined a Doctor Who Appreciation Society. And guys, if any of you are listening to this, you're amazing individual people and i love you all as a group we did not get on i think that's fair to say <laughs> i knew that would come in when it went individually yeah. you're great together you're wanna... just awful <laughs> okay so do you know something i do love obviously we're talking about how we got into it obviously my memory is wrong and it must have just been dad that i watched it with because i know dad dad used to watch it with his dad when he was younger yeah, but I f- I feel like Doctor Who is such a family thing, mm. and it's a generational thing as well. That one generation getting the next into the reboot, but it's all like, I, do you remember every yeah. Christmas special? Like when obviously you were around at ours, Jason, and we'd just all sit down and watch it as like someone starts talking. It's like shut the fuck up. This is important. Yeah, I I can't wait to watch Doctor Who on Christmas Day again. Like a new Doctor Who on Christmas Day. If it, like, it, it seems so silly that, like, well, you know, it was only on a week later. Has it been, like, seven or eight years since the last Christmas special? Has it really? One of the last ones must have been, like, uh, was Peter Capaldi and it was, Cross. It was, was uh, it that one? Uh, yeah, Peter, it was the... It was the one with David Bradley. Oh, yeah, like The first Doctor. Yeah. Twice Upon Time. Yeah, no, that was a good episode. It went to uh, New Year's Eve specials. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, with the 13th Doctor, they, and they then... only moved it a week later, but it just never felt the same not being on Christmas Day. Yeah, I am excited for this Christmas special and I love the name of it. I think it's very clever. Church on Ruby Road, is it? Because obviously, the new yeah. companion is called Ruby. I, 
I'm just excited for them both. I think it's going to be really good. So the next question, without without starting arguments, I feel like the easiest way to do this is, so what are we saying? Classical Doctor Who and New Who. Favourite, so favourite Doctors. I feel like we should have one from Classical and one from okay. New Who. These are questions that start arguments. I'm, I'm not sure I've really got a favourite classic Doctor. Um, I've, I've been watching a few with them all being on iPlayer now. I've been trying to watch a few, but there are there's just too many to just sit and watch it from start to finish. I would um I would say just sort of look for some recommended ones, either yeah, for friends or high rated. It's that's because I watched them so out of order, it's insane. Yeah, that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been trying to watch like a couple per doctor, really. Um I know I definitely have a classical one as well as a new who one. Well, I think you should start. So my classical one is Tom Baker. Would you like a jelly baby? One of the main reasons is that line. It is just fantastic, but I, I don't know. He, he's got the. I think with with Doc with the Doctor, one of the things that I love the most is the craziness of him, like the absolutely just mental person. But sometimes he just goes serious. But at, at that kind of foundation, he is this out of this world kind of person, and I think Tom Baker just embodies that, and that line embodies that personality of just r- at random moments, like, and also at the most inappropriate moments, just going, "Would you like a jelly baby?" And I, I think the Doctor has to be a bit odd and a bit weird to to, to remind you sometimes that he's not human. Yeah. It's not, it's not like it's not like he mentions that he's an alien every two eps, every episode. Though I, it may not be my my absolute pick, but I have such a soft spot on love for probably one of the most human seeming doctors of all, the third Doctor. Like his his run is almost it's almost his own thing, and you know it 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 can work. And um, I actually really loved. Um, watching the classic series with my my then girlfriend and now wife. Um, we, I'm we... so glad that you were talking about the same person. <laughs> Me too. I'm, I'm very glad and grateful. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, hey, you had another girlfriend. <laughs> I plead the fifth on that one, uh, but. <laughs> But yeah, we we started in in university, and we did we did start from the um, the first series. But there was no sort of rush. In fact, we so we started uh, probably in twenty eleven. Now in twenty twenty, no, we have not finished. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, twelve years later. Um, But I I hate uh, genuinely I hate this question. I hate having to pick because I love them all in in their own way. Um, But I will. I will go for um, I, the the Doctor, the one Doctor that I've met. My classical pick will be the sixth Doctor, Colin Baker. Like he's, you know, not every story there was a classic, but I just like I like him, and like as a person, like in interviews, he just comes across as a, a, a he has such passion for the show, intelligent man, and obviously. When I got to meet him, I think probably told you this story, Ben. He was doing a meet and greet in a shopping centre in Tamworth, 
random as anything, but I lived there at the time. So I was like, I can't, I can't not go and meet my hero. Yeah. And I, I was expecting Why it to be so- I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> Sam was smaller on the inside. <laughs> but but um, I, I, I thought, there was, so I was walking by, I thought it was going to be a queue and there wasn't. So I just kept walking into the Iceland and my wife's like, you okay? And I went, I'm not ready. <laughs> Need to psych yourself up. Just there, like, does my hair look okay? Is um, <laughs> is it in place? I think for New Who, like, this is such a hard thing for me because I I, I kind of have a joint first, and basically because of, do you know on the premise of they were both how I envisioned when I think of the Doctor, they both did it perfectly in such different ways so you're gonna say david tennant and matt smith yeah and it's like i think obviously i was seven when the reboot happened and christopher eccleston and i know i know you love christopher eccleston and i think maybe i just wasn't mature enough to appreciate that style of doctor because he was he was a much more dark in a way like a darker doctor but david tennant obviously i can he was my doctor growing up so i think that's why he's got a special place but i think matt smith would have to take it because he he's just got that craziness but at certain times just that such deep like character development in it and his first his introductory episode is probably one of my favorite favorite episodes of Doctor Who ever. I like Matt Smith, and yeah, he, he does have some great episodes, and he is great as the Doctor himself. I I remember being particularly disappointed after that introductory episode because I don't think he's different enough from David Tennant. They are very similar. After he, he does quite often feel like he's doing a bit of a David Tennant impression. Like after going from Chris Eccleston to David Tennant, who are like very different doctors, yeah. Matt Smith just didn't feel like as big of a a change. Whereas Matt Smith to Peter Capaldi again is quite a change. Yeah, I think I've, David Tennant to Matt Smith is probably the least amount of personality wise change that they've had. I think the I think the the devil's in the details, and I think there are lots of little quirks like in the the 50th anniversary they had a lot of fun pointing out the similarities but i think you also did get to see the differences and i think that's where the differences stood out in in that episode yeah i'm not saying my voice went a bit squeaky then is he the meat (laughs) god damn it now i can't (laughs) cut that out i'm not saying there aren't differences i just i don't think they're as big as i wanted them to be when it was changing Doctor. Like, if it had gone David Tennant, Peter Capaldi, then Matt Smith, I probably would have enjoyed his performance at the time a lot more. Um, like I said, it was just when he first started, I was like, oh, he's kind of do- doing a lot of the same thing again. Uh, but you kind of spoiled my first Doctor already, Ben. You just Sorry. said, like, I, yeah, I love love Christopher Eccleston in the role. He, I think he's, he's just a fantastic actor anyway. Uh, was that deliberate? Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't, but um so 
Doctor Who is how I was introduced to him, but since then, anything that he's in, I will try and watch. And he he really is. Uh, he, he's what you call a proper actor. Actor. Yeah. It is a shame about all the, the, the stuff that went down after Doctor Who with him, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so and he yeah, seems he... to be in a, in a better place now, and he seems to sort of. I mean, the fandom never stopped loving him, and it's nice that he's happy to to be back as part of it. Yeah. So for well, anyone that doesn't know, like he basically just didn't really get on with the production uh, with anyone in charge. And Russell T Davis mainly did, didn't agree with any <laughs> of the decisions that were being made about his character. Uh, which is a big part of why you left after one series, I believe. I believe as well. I think it's okay to say, because he said it publicly now, um, he was actually suffering with, with anorexia at the time. So I think I think that was a big part of it. I don't know whether it... And I think he was keeping it a secret. So I think that having something like that going on as well probably exacerbated everything. But yeah, yeah again, I'm only mentioning because he's he's openly talked about it now. Yeah. My like hope for any future special multi-doctor story that they ever do is that one day Christopher Eccleston comes back. I he would... says he'll do the the hundredth anniversary. Great. <laughs> How old will he be then? Ninety-nine. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, I've done it again. <laughs> but yeah, I I really love the. I I think he he exemplifies the two sides of the Doctor. There's, you know, the, the fun-loving, silly Doctor, and there is the, basically like the broken Doctor, um, the, the, the Doctor who has seen so much death and destruction, and obviously this is the Doctor that has just lived through the Time War. You, you see in most of his episodes, you see flashes of, of both of that. So, like, in Rose, in the first episode... The the shot that I always think of is just him stood in front of the London Eye, and it's the first time when when he, he notices that exactly what he's looking for is behind him, and he looks back to the camera and says, "Fantastic!" And <laughs> that image of him, the big cheesy grin on his face, it almost looks like plasticine in that moment. Like that that is in, etched into my brain. Um. <laughs> Uh, but then at the end, when he destroys the nesting consciousness, uh, and you you know you realise that he does have this darker side as well, and that's that's really really explored in that first series. It's yeah. Um, again, I, I I hate this question. I hate having to choose. Like. I think they're all brilliant in their in their own way. Like again, with the classic and the the modern. Um, sorry to throw you under the bus, Mrs. C, uh, but she will not accept Christopher Eccleston as as the Doctor. Like she just he just doesn't see it, and I don't know how much of it she's she's seen. And she absolutely loves Matt Smith, but that was when we started watching it together. And I really really hope that when we do finally finish our classic watch through and go through that first series she's able to to see him in a new light um because he's brilliant um i remember um sort of at the when i got really into the show i was on the the message board the imdb message boards 
And that was a toxic place to be. It was like any little foibles, uh, little things. It was, this is the worst thing. And and that kind of really turned me off David Tennant as the doctor, because I was just going with, yeah, actually, he's really annoying. Like, cat- oh, catchphrase is terrible. And, um, and it was only recently that I realized just genu- how much genuine love um, there still is for him like 10 years later. And honestly, if, you know, this re- the re- most recent performance is given was just firing on all cylinders. And if, if that's what's been needed to, um, to, to bring a load of people that have jumped ship back to the show, you know, that is absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, I've been thinking recently just like, about Peter Capaldi's doctor as well. Um, My second you know, favourite doctor, Peter Capaldi. I just like the old man doctors, I think. <laughs> I yeah. like the crotchety old man doctor. <laughs> you just like the grumpy ass. I can relate. Oh. And like I, I, I probably will like bring up the the thirteenth Doctor as like um, sort of a, a point of contrast and things like later on. And I, I think Jodie Whittaker has genuinely been a fantastic ambassador for the show. Um, it was yeah. a video I watched. Uh, I think this was from the fantastic Mr. Tardis, where he talked about uh, something she filmed in her own home um, during the pandemic in character as the doctor, sort of as a thing for children. I can't, sorry, I've not got all the details there, but like, I absolutely agreed that was the doctor, like doing that. And I feel like she was kind of underserved by by the writing um uh so i'm going to paraf- uh, i'm going to steal something that Stephen Moffat once said he was asked um if you could be taken on a trip with any doctor who would you pick and he said i wouldn't pick any of them they're all mad and they'll get me killed it was gone to my head. I'll pick the most recent doctor because they haven't proven themselves to be that mad person yet so uh yeah, I, I'll, I'll I'll go with Sh- I, I will let Shooty Gatwa take me on a trip in the TARDIS until there's been confirmation that he would also get me killed. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I think yeah, we should discuss Jodie Whittaker. I think for a lot of people, it has been a low point of the show, at least since its revival. And that's nothing against Jodie. For me, Jodie Whittaker is like, I know I said Matt Smith and David Tennant are like joint first, but she's like second or third. Do you know what I mean? She, Compared she to them, wonderful. she's fantastic. She's a... It was just the writing for she me. She brings a lot of joy to the role. Yeah, and definitely. You can tell that she's just having a good time making that show. And she is a wonderful actor. You you cannot to take that away from her. Like... Uh, if you watch the second series of, of Time that's just been on BBC, it'll still be on iPlayer, I think. I mean, she plays a, a prisoner in that. Like, you you can just see how brilliant of an actor she is. And yet yeah, the writing just was not up to par. I've I've still got, I think I've spoke about on the podcast before, I've got issues with Chris Chibnall that go back to Broadchurch Series 1 that like, I just never really got on with his the way he writes especially like mysteries and i did find that in the those uh chris chibnall era episodes there was a lot of villains explaining everything to the doctor and i feel like you could swap those bits of dialogue around yeah. and it would have been so much better to have the doctor work everything out and yeah be the smartest person in the room i think that's the whole 
her, the whole thing about the doctor is that they know and are the smartest person in, in a room at any given time. But I yeah. think with jo- with Jodie Whittaker's doctor, one thing I absolutely love, and I I know I I've said that I hate the writing, but I did watch her last series so that I was up, up for these specials. When she's do you know how the doctor's always hiding things from their companions? Like yeah. Yeah. the doctor lies. The doctor lies Rule and doesn't show how they're actually feeling at times, but the way she does that is absolutely fantastic. And the way she changes the subject at things, like she's having like a really deep and emotional turmoil. And then all of a sudden she just switches like, shall we go to a beach? And it's just the way she she's fantastic as the Doctor. And now yeah. we're all saying fantastic. <laughs> I was really hoping that there would be some crossover. Um, and I know Russell T. Davies had said he didn't want to do a multi-Doctor story, and I was just hoping that he was lying. <laughs> um, well, he did do a multi-Doctor story. Well, in a way, yeah. Oh, my God. But <laughs> I, I, I really hoped that... Jodie Whittaker was going to be in one of these specials. I understand. I understand. Yeah, I get why we didn't. I just think she would have been so much better served by Russell T. Davis as a writer. Um, but... I, I feel like it's such a shame that not that she was the first female Doctor, but that those se- those seasons were the first female. The way there was the way they were written because. I feel like it kind of gives ammunition to anyone that's that way inclined to go, well, look look how bad it is when the Doctor's a woman. And that was never the issue. I'd never had a problem with the Doctor being a woman. And yeah, I think it happens again. There's a there's a, a nuanced conversation to be had, and, and those, you know, weren't being had <laughs> by a lot of people. In a way, um, you know, I've, I've made notes on these episodes, so I feel like I can back up any points I want to make. I feel bad because it's been so long, really, since I've rewatched any of those ones, because, again, I don't think the, the writing overall was the most terrible thing in the world, you know, it's episode by episode and you know there are ones that like i genuinely enjoyed and there are critiques also that i would absolutely uh agree with but i don't have anything like <laughs> any set in stone examples right now to say well this is where it, that era went well and, and that's yeah. where this era um went wrong um there are definitely some great episodes in there the one that springs to mind is the rosa parks episode i really enjoyed yeah um, but I, I did that had uh, so many like internal themes as well. Yeah, but I did in in those those years uh, where Chris Chibnall was showrunner. Uh, I'm going to keep bringing it back to him because I, I I don't want to associate <laughs> me not liking the show with Jodie Whittaker because it's not about her. Um, Jason's just there, like, do you know Chris? Do you know Chibnall is a twat. <laughs> <laughs> But he seems like a, a genuinely lovely guy in interviews. He's just not good at his job. <laughs> he probably is. I just don't rate his writing, unfortunately. And I'm not saying I could do better, but I'm not a professional writer either. Um, uh, but yeah, I I definitely had just less excitement for the show, which is so sad for a show that I always like looked forward to so much and, you, you know, never wanted to 
be like a second behind one of the few shows that I'll watch live whenever it's on. And then in those seasons, I was sometimes like, I, oh, Doctor Who's on, and I've not managed to get around to watching last week's yet, just because I, I, I just I lost I lost the buzz for it. I lost the excitement. Yeah, um, I think, but it's back. <laughs> it is. And one thing I do want to mention because we do keep saying the word fantastic, and I don't know if anyone's seen it. So David Tennant's first episode with the Sycorax. Yeah, I think you did mention this on a podcast before. Yeah, I think I have. I don't. Has anyone seen the deleted scene? That, yeah, but that, 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 that would have worked so much better. I were, went back and watched it because you mentioned I it. Mind, I must have at some point, but remind us all. It's, it's essentially in this when he after he's had his tea and he comes up. Because obviously, do you know where he's talking about? I've got new teeth, hmm. and he's like he's figuring out who he is. I know these teeth. He goes on to start testing out phrases because what? Because obviously, Christopher Eccleston's doctor says fantastic a lot. David Tennant says fantastic is like, oh, no, that don't feel right. Mm, mm. And he starts testing out all these different like phrases. And it's just, it is the, the way he's going through it, trying to find what fits for him. I don't suppose at any point he mentioned he said carrot juice because just for me, that would have been wonderful. <laughs> and that's for two people out there that get the reference. It was that wasn't that like the was it the first words of one of the doctors? No, it was it was the last the lines last of Colin Baker. Uh, um yeah, I, I like when they they leave breadcrumbs between doctors like that, just to remind you that this is the same person. Kind of like when when Clara gets the phone call from Matt Smith's doctor in Peter Capaldi's first one. Um, it, it, because it can be difficult to remember that sometimes, because obviously they are different actors and they're different faces. But no, this is the same person. Um and he so, was going for such a different characterization. I think he wanted to yeah. try and, you know. And that, I know we're going to talk about the recent specials shortly, but I, I really liked that they dropped that line in where David Tennant says, a, a minute ago, I was this brilliant woman. Yes. Like, just, just to remind you that, like, you know, I, I know a lot of you didn't like that, but we're not forgetting about it. It was like, done really classily. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. Like, I can't just not watch, like, um, reviewers that I like when I'm going to talk about something. Like, some people that were like, no, I won't watch anything, so my opinions are 100% mine. I've I've already watched stuff, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say if I'm, I'm, you know, quoting someone that I think has got a good point. Um, but uh, I believe Mr. Tardis again, what he said was, it's clear that Russell T. Davis never stopped watching the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's evident. And I think um, he's shown a lot of love in these specials to what's come before him. Yeah. What I want to talk about now, because I feel like they deserve it. We've talked about our favourite doctors. I want to talk about favourite companions. Um, okay. My favourite companion. You might expect, if my favourite doctor is Christopher Eccleston, that my favourite companion is going to be Rose, and I do love Rose. My favourite companion, and I never expected this after her first appearance, is Donna Noble. Because 
I, I think the, the Doctor and Donna, and I will talk about this more when we get onto the new episodes, have the most believable, like, best friend relationship. Obviously, there, there was like, romantic undertones with Rose and even Martha liked the Doctor. But with with Donna, it's like there's never really a hint of that. And it is purely platonic. And even you, you, you get that with uh, Peter Capaldi's Doctor and uh, Clara. But it's just, I, I think it's the, the on, on-screen friend chemistry between David Tennant and uh, Catherine Tate. It, it, it is, yeah, it's just so believable that they are best friends. And I absolutely love that. And and even though, you know, David Tennant isn't my favourite Doctor, that series... That relationship. ...is probably my favourite series because of the two of them together. There's a reason that that was kind of the inspiration for these specials. Yeah. Yeah, it just it works so well. And her first appearance as Runaway in The Runaway Bride, I kind of left it thinking like, well, I'm glad that that was only a one-off. I'm glad she's not coming back. Like she was so annoying in that episode. Yeah, um, but she has the best character development in the entire show. Absolutely. Like going from being the, the that annoying woman who doesn't really have a clue what's going on and misses all these huge events that everyone on Earth is talking about to being the most important person in the world. And not just that, but, but so she's so emotionally involved in it. Like, you think of like that ending of Fires of Pompeii. Oh, my God. When she she's just begging him. Save one. Yeah. I, I genuinely think I cried at that. Just the emotion that she gave when she's like, honestly, just one. We don't have to do anything else. Just save one. Yeah, and I think that's the best companions. That is kind of what they do, is they... Level they, out the Doctor. Yeah, they, 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 they keep the Doctor in check a bit. They give him his humanity. Exactly. And this is n- not my pick for favourite companion... But just on a slight tangent to, to that, the I don't know how if you guys have seen the very first serial in an earthly child. Uh yeah, I have. So the doctor was not fully formed at that point, and there's the bit where he is about to smash someone's head in with a rock. And then his <laughs> hand is stopped by Ian Chesterton. And in my head, like that is when the Doctor we know is formed, when he's shown compassion by humanity. Uh, I, I love that's good headcanon. But uh, interestingly, I've just been thinking through some of my favourite companions and, and sort of, believe it or not, one of mine is the absolute inverse of that. And that's Leela, who, again, uh, classic series with Tom Baker, and she is the, the savage. And... He, and but she's a noble savage, and he has to rein her in. And like you know, it was you know the nineteen seventies, and they wanted a, a scantily clad woman, as they put it, for the dads on the show. And, it, <laughs> and, and, and you know, she was an unintelligent savage, and it could have gone so wrong. And Louise Jameson 
is so good in that role and just like the 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 writing and 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 her earnest character and the back and forth with the doctor and she's not unintelligent it's just a a different kind of intelligent and and i've been listening to some of the the audios with her and tom baker made you know like 30 40 years later on such a fantastic character that i don't think is ever going to be brought back but she should i can't believe that in all this time they have never brought uh, Susan back. And she's up for it. Caroline Ford is so up for it. Yeah. It, it, it seems like such an easy win. To, to They could have they could have yeah. dropped it into these specials. They could have dropped it into the 50th. They could have dropped her into pretty much any season finale. Do you, do you know what I think they're waiting for? In two years' time, it's going to be the 20th anniversary of uh, the show's revival. I think they're going to do something special for that. Possibly. Um, but, um, have, uh, guys, I've not actually asked, have you listened to any of the Big Finish audio stuff? I haven't, mainly because there's just so many of them. It feels kind of daunting. Oh, actually, no, I did listen to... This was a while back. Yeah, they, they, they did a series. I can't remember what they were called, but they did a series where there was basically like a, a story per Doctor but they, yeah. they all tied together. We're down for the 50th. I think it was. I've, I've listened to that. Um, so this is not a, a plug or a sponsor, but like the I think the first 50 that they made are on Spotify. Um, so if you've got it, you can listen to all of those without paying anything extra. And there's some, and those ones you're on about. Uh, this one isn't on Spotify, but I did manage to like hear it on the radio years ago. Um, they brought Susan back for a, an Eighth Doctor Christmas special. It is essentially family Christmas in the TARDIS <laughs> with uh, the Doctor, his granddaughter, and his great-grandson. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so that was delightful. And I seem to think a few years... Uh, sorry, a few episodes later, absolutely destroyed. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I, I might have to track those down and, and, and buy them because that was they were brilliant. Yeah, I'll have to check some of them out on Spotify because I'm looking for a new audiobook. I've just finished the... Uh, I don't know if you're a Buffy fan. I've just finished The Slayers. Now I've seen like two episodes of it ever. Oh, Buffy's brilliant. Um. Yeah, so I've just finished that audiobook, so I need something new to listen to, so I might check those out. So my favourite companion, I'm going to give the one and the two, but I think it's quite controversial in a way. No such thing. So I, I said Matt Smith's my favourite doctor. Yeah. My favourite companion is actually Clara. Not just in Matt Smith's, though. Yeah. Go, for going into Peter Capaldi's, because she's that... She's clever, and in a way, she's she's one of those companions that sees the Doctor and tries to act like him. She she tries to be fearless, and at times she is, but in other times, like you can see how terrified she is in them situations. But she's still brave. Yeah, and, and ultimately, it was her downfall. Like, yeah, I I really enjoyed Clara. Like, and yeah. again. There was internet discourse and some real hatred about uh, about her, but 
don't let that ever stop you from liking what you like. No, exactly. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite things about her is that obviously she was madly in love with Matt Smith's doctor. Like she was enamored. And when he regenerated, those first few episodes were so hard for her. Yeah. Well, that's why that phone call I was talking about earlier is so important. Where, where yeah, he, he says like, you know, that that is still me and he he's as freaked out and I can't remember the exact words, but like he's yeah. as afraid as you are right now. He doesn't know like who he is yet. But I th- I think Not- just that that whole overlap is just fantastic. And her having to deal with the fact that the person that she is absolutely in love with is not the same person. Yeah. And her coming to that and her ending, I I know a lot of people don't like it, but I think her ending is fantastic. It feels like a bit of a cop-out, I think, is the only... Like, if you're going to kill a character, I don't know. Kill, have, have the balls to kill a character and actually give it weight and not like, well, actually, no, you can travel the universe for as long as you like in like frozen in your last second of life or however they explained it. Yeah. And obviously that was mentioned in, in the specials. Yeah. Uh, which we'll, we'll talk about. But my second is actually Yasmin Khan, Jodie Whittaker's companion. Yeah. Yaz, Yaz was the best of yeah. the, the, the companions of that series. See, um, I love Graham. Like Graham, Graham was a shining beacon of light. <laughs> I feel like Yaz became the Doctor. Like everything, she she learned to fly the TARDIS. She was fully competent on her own. Do you know what I mean? She didn't need the Doctor there to actually accomplish things across time and space. The whole what would the Doctor do? but she'd write on her hand. And she tried to live up to... Yaz was put th- put through a lot and, you know, had to live up to the Doctor. Uh, Clara wanted to, and her hubris got her killed. Yaz, you know, Yaz didn't, didn't like, you know, she could have been there. And honestly, like, it, it was really heartbreaking, but I, I honestly, but I thought, like, why does Yaz have to go? There's there's no in universe reason. It's because the the production team is changing, and we've not and we've not signed her a new contract. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? What I kind of think as well though. The and this is just me probably being optimistic and seeing it. I, I feel like everyone does that with any movie and TV show. You there's certain things you you take and interpret how you want it to be. That's the beauty but, of art. But obviously, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor and Yasmin Khan were, they they were a thing. Bad but, men. but there was the, there was the whole thing about it can't happen. And I kind of see it as the Doctor not putting Yasmin through what Clara went through, in a way. I like that. And Rose having to obviously switch doctors in. I mean, I, I suppose Rose in the end did get a a, a, a relatively happy ending uh, yeah. there with her own version of the Doctor in her own universe or in a different universe, should I say? Um, 
but but yeah, that that the original ending for Rose was it, it remains one of the most heartbreaking moments in Doctor Who. So I could at least I could I could say with um that's a, a, another situation where you could apply the uh the thing if you want to kill a character kill a character I think uh you know these I think these writers do get very very much attached to to uh the characters that they've created I and, don't blame but, them though like yeah but it, it feels sometimes like you know, we, we we want to show that traveling with the doctor actually does have stakes, and you, your safety is not always guaranteed. But then, kind of back out of it slightly. Yeah, but I think the doctor is nothing without a companion. Definitely, that 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 is. It always needs to be that way, which is why I'm excited for the new series. I think it's going to work really well. I actually saw. I saw someone post on Twitter saying something along the lines of this is going to be the gayest doctor we've ever had. And I am absolutely, and there was like, I'm absolutely here for it. And I was like, yes, I think that relationship's going to show really well as well. I think, you know, maybe the the gayest doctor since the second doctor and Jamie. (laughs) Wow. Something I wish they would do in new who that I, I don't think they've done I don't, they've not done for more than like an episode. I wish they would have a companion that isn't from modern day Earth. And that's what's so yeah. great about Leela. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. He can he can travel anywhere in space and time, meet up with anyone. Let's you know, let's have him travel with someone that's not contemporary. I'd say, well, the last companion like that was Nardole, I think. Yeah. And that was that was a, a character, like you said about Donna, that I thought I was going to hate. And Matt Lucas was amazing. He really yeah. was. I do think though, sometimes like I think about it and I was like, him always choosing a human companion just emphasizes his admiration for planet Earth and the human race and his love for the human race. Okay, before we do move on to the specials, one last thing I want to mention. There's not been many. Well, I feel like it's been a big part of a lot of doctors is the master. And I feel every time we've seen the mas- the master, it's so what have we had in New Who? Three masters? Uh depends if you're counting Derek Jacobi. Oh yeah, we got two. Yeah. So four. So four. Yeah. We've got Derek Jacobi's There's not much of that episode where Derek Jacobi is realizes the that he is the master. Until he uses the fob watch, which I love. Yeah. I love the aspect that, of the fob watch. That the last few minutes of that episode is the best bit of that episode. Just before he regenerates, and I, I think he could have done a brilliant turn as the master. I think it really shows an actor's worth when they can do something like that, where he's playing one character and then suddenly has to completely switch the personality of that character. Much like what we talked about with Moon Knight. Yeah, literally. And I will probably be mentioning uh, when we get to Wild Blue Yonder. Okay. So can, can we quick, let's be quick, because I feel like we, we do need to get to talking about these specials. Um, can we just do favourite episodes? 
Um, I don't know if you want to do like limit it to New Who or what, what do you think, Ben? I think limit to New Who. Favorite New Who episode. We're on about the specials. It's yeah. Up. Okay. So I'll go first. Favorite episode is Dalek. I feel like that there was one of the challenges of bringing the show back had to be uh, making people realize why the Daleks are a threat. Because I think in the wilderness years, they had kind of become a joke. Like, you know, people would always say, like, they're not scary, you just run upstairs. Or, like, you know, they're just like a a slow tin can. To, like, it, it doesn't... I can see why people thought it didn't look threatening. And then you watch that, that one episode and you can see why a Dalek is such a threat. And there's that one, there's that one shot. Uh, It's like above the Dalek and there's people shooting at it from all angles and it's eye stalks rotating one way and it's guns are rotating the other way and it's just shooting or like no one can get a shot on it and it just decimates everyone trying to stop it. And then obviously in that episode, is it in that episode where you get the levitate for the first yes. time, it is, isn't it? <laughs> levitate. Well, I say for the first time, I think they did actually levitate in Classic Who, didn't they? They did, yeah, in um, the last Dalek story they made. But you made the point, it had been off the air for so long, and a lot of people weren't watching at that point. So, yeah, it yeah. needed to be reestablished. But w- without that episode, the finale would not have seemed half as threatening. You could mm. That they had to, they had to make a single Dalek terrifying, to to really drive home how scary an army of Daleks would be. Um, yeah, and I mentioned Father's Day earlier. That one will, will always like have a place in my heart as the episode that got me into Doctor Who. But also, like I said, there is just so much emotional weight to that episode, and the. the idea that the doctor knew all along that he could have fixed everything by sacrificing rose's dad and was just not willing to do that to rose yeah i think i it's such a hard question especially as doctor who fans it's such a hard question um two quick honorable mentions blink yeah because fantastic it's it's basically like a short horror film Yep. And the Doctor's Wife are my honourable mentions. Because seeing the the TARDIS in personification was a great oh, yeah, asset. That is, that is a brilliant, yeah. But I think for me, it's got to be A Good Man Goes to War. Okay. A, a Good Man Goes to War is where... Is, is the one where you River find song. out who River is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think all of the... Do you know the whole of you don't know you don't know who's actually real because people keep liquid fighting. Um, yeah, but it really shows, and do, it's do you know that whole I said I love the wackiness of the Doctor and the craziness, but when it <laughs> at times he just goes. You're not alone of, on that, Ben. That episode has a nine out of ten on IMDb. Does it? Yeah, it, I think it's just it's great. Like all of the extra help that the doctor gets as well but the like the capitalization 
on like who River Song is and yeah. the links between them. I think he's just really poetic. So I, I seem to. Uh, this is silly. That this doesn't matter at all. But at the time, with the premise and everything, I I convinced myself that Martha was going to be one of the people he recruited to help him. So I did get a little bit disappointed at the time that we didn't get Freema Ashman back for an episode. <laughs> Um, I honestly, I, I, I don't know if I can answer this episode. Like maybe if I had like a, a week to think, I would have come <laughs> up with it because there's so much I like, but with what we've been talking about and what we're going to talk about, if I could have a, a, a double whammy, a two-parter, the, 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 the combination of turn left and midnight, um, like um, I think that midnight is such a good episode, and and there are elements of that that I'll probably be talking about later. And and turn and turn left, like it was, you know, it showed what a, the Doctor Light and the Companion Light episodes could be, and like turn left it was so dystopic that you know obviously had to to end with, you know. That you know the way it did, where it all being okay, and then Russell T. Davis was just like, Do you know what? I can make this a show. And have you guys seen Years and Years? Yes. It. I. I thought it was phenomenal, but it was so bleak. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it was like that, basically, but without the you know, with there never a doctor and. Yeah. No, I loved Years and Years. And turn left did feel like it felt like one of those episodes that was really made for the fans of the show because like it goes yeah. back and revisits so many moments, but from a different perspective and yeah. what would have happened without the Doctor there. It's like we've said in previous podcasts. I don't think you could go wrong with having a what if for any yeah, that's good show, what it is, isn't it? Yeah, it, it but is... any good show, if you have a what if, yeah, it works. What what if Donna Noble didn't save the Doctor? He dies that day. Yeah, and then and then what happens to the rest of the world? Because the Doctor needs to be there to stop all these terrible things happening. Do you know what though? I am quite surprised for Jason that you didn't say Bad Wolf. No, I like I I like it, but it's not. It is. I There's think it's it's it, it, Bad Wolf. There is. It's it's the one where it all the culmination of Christopher Eccleston's Doctor seeing Bad Wolf and because it's just in every episode there's a mention of Bad Wolf and it's just like completely just nonchalantly. There's not an episode called Bad Wolf though. What was the episode called? The so not not the last episode, the one before it. The what the the penultimate episode of season one? What's that called? It is. Do you know what? <laughs> it is. Yes, called, sorry, it is. It's, it is it's, bad it's the last episode yeah, of the season, isn't it? Or the no, you're, you're last... right. Sorry, I was wrong. I'll admit it. Fucking hell, that's the a change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the one where like there's just that one scene where the realization of Bad Wolf. Yeah, I just wanted to do a couple of honorable mentions. I think the uh, the family of blood two parter really like dives into yeah. into the the doctor's humanity slash lack of humanity at the same time like it and, and 
the I don't know the blurred lines there between him spending a lot of time on Earth and with Earthlings and actually not being human. Um, and then the uh, like I said, season four is my favorite season. So the finale there that is basically Russell T Davis's big hurrah, not knowing yeah. that obviously he was going to be coming back, but basically just brings back every character that was important in his run. To the have a... Dr. Donna one. Everyone yeah. driving the t- flying the TARDIS. Yeah. That scene where they fly in the TARDIS. They're all flying the TARDIS together. You've, yeah. you've got you've got the two doctors, you've got Donna, who at the time is the Doctor Donna. Um you've got even like Jackie Tyler, I love Jackie Tyler. Something that Russell T. Davis always did so well was not just for companions, but like fleshing out their family. It mm. made them more believable characters. Um, and Donna's, yeah, Donna's family. Donna's, um, fam- Donna's family is great. Martha's family. Martha, yeah. Um, but uh, Rosa's family, I, well, I say family, mom and Mickey. <laughs> and I guess her dad as well is there in, in, um, in, in a few episodes. But yeah, just having all those people together. Do you know what? I absolutely hated Mickey. He was just so really? annoying. Yeah, he was just so, he was just such a pick me guy. Mickey is like the most normal character. Like it, he he is kind of like how most normal people would react to those situations, um, and is made to look like a bit of an idiot for it. I think Doctor even calls him Mickey the idiot, doesn't he? Um, he does. He is. I think he is to Doctor Who what Jerry is to Rick and Morty. And I kind of love Jerry and Rick and Morty because he is <laughs> the most normal character in that family. I'm with you, absolutely. Like, it, it's a shame. Uh, uh, he's been tarnished a little bit by real world stuff, but Mickey the character, I still, I think is a great character and his, and his evolution through through the show. It's when he but gets yeah, the to the realisation that he'll never be as good as the Doctor in Rose's eyes, and then he starts to kind of come into his own. Right. Yeah, and it, then... The, from there's... that point, he is a good character, but until then, he just really annoyed me. In David Tennant's last episode, isn't it... Doesn't it turn out that Mickey and Martha are married? Yes. Yeah. I'd love to see those two come back. When, he, when what... he stood on the gangway. I don't know. He, he does a little goodbye tour, doesn't he? And just... Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, oh, that, just go, goes and crying. sees all his old I companions. I was crying when he gives uh, he gives Donna the lottery ticket. Um, yeah, it just goes back and sees everyone. Like, yeah, great little montage at the end of him just just checking up on people. It's not often you get a home visit from a doctor these days. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, no, I like that. You could have that. Okay, so. Now it's time for a little segment we like to call Chatting with the Robot Overlord. I asked ChatGPT to come up with the next multi doctor Doctor Who special. Its response was certainly. It was very optimistic about this. Okay, so it the didn't title. Say fantastic, though. <laughs> no, disappointed slightly. The title is Temporal Convergence. Seems quite. Doctor Who, 
Yeah, it's took a few sci-fi words and smashed them together. Works. (laughs) No, not brilliant. Fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) So, I'll read out the synopsis. The TARDISes of multiple incarnations of the Doctor start malfunctioning simultaneously, pulling different versions of the Doctor from various points in their timelines into a chaotic intersection of time and space. The 13th Doctor finds herself encountering her past selves unexpectedly, including the 10th, 4th and 7th Doctors. They discover that a temporal disturbance caused by a mysterious entity threatens the stability of the universe. To fix this rupture in time, they must work together utilising the strengths and knowledge of each incarnation. However, the entity manipulating time turns out to be an ancient being known as Chronomagnus, seeking to rewrite history to suit it its own desires. As the Doctors navigate through different eras and confront paradoxes, they realise that Chrono Magnus has been manipulating key events in their lives, endangering the very fabric of time. Each Doctor brings their unique perspective and skills to the table. The Tenth tenth Doctor's determination, the Fourth Doctor's intellect, the Seventh Doctor's cunning, and the Thirteenth Doctor's resourcefulness blend to form a formidable team. Throughout the adventure, the Doctors face challenges that force them to rely on their companions' help, creating unexpected pairings and memorable interactions between past and present companions. Ultimately, they confront Chrono Magnus in a showdown that spans across multiple timelines and dimensions. Through their combined efforts and clever use of time travel tactics, the Doctors manage to outsmart the entity, restoring the timeline to its original state. As the Doctors bid farewell to each other, sharing a few knowing glances and words of wisdom, they step back into their respective TARDISes, each continuing their adventure across time and space while the memory of their epic collaboration remains a legend throughout the universe. This special would celebrate the rich history of Doctor Who while offering a thrilling and nostalgic experience for fans of all generations. Cast list. Jodie Whittaker as the 13th, Dr. David Tennant as the 10th, Tom Baker as the 4th, and Sylvester McCoy as the 7th. And then Mandit Gill as Yaz, Catherine Tate as Donna Noble, Sophie Aldred as Ace, Freema Adjiman as Martha Jones, John Barrowman as Captain Jack Hartness, Billy Piper as Rose Tyler, and Pearl Mackett as Bill Potts, and Benedict Cumberbatch as Chrono Magnus. Okay. To be, fair, it, to, to be fair, it gave a few... Uh, Where's the beard? as Lena. It gave a few. There is a Lena on this list. It gave a few options for who to play Crona Magnus. And that was Benedict Cumberbatch, Tilda Swinton, Tom Hiddleston, or Lena Headey. Lena Headey was Cersei, wasn't she, from Game of Thrones? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I Let me just say, Captain Jack Harkness is not coming back. <laughs> that is not happening. Um because of you know off-screen controversies well yes but chat gpt has exonerated him of them apparently (laughs) but i think not necessarily funny which sometimes chat gpt gives us but i think that sounds like a solid special i like the idea of it said like interesting team-ups between doctors and companions i like the idea of like companions being pulled through time and having to team up with doctors that they haven't necessarily like met before or interacted with i like that idea yeah um, i would argue that the, the qualities that it assigned to every doctor they kind of all have anyway i think they're the standout qualities of each personality but do you know what i kind of think i'd like 
is each doctor, because obviously every doctor's going to, from the 13th, the 10th to the 7th, are going to know the previous companions. Yeah. So the interactions there between the 13th uh, doctor and the uh, 4th, 7th, and 10th companions would be quite an interesting thing. Or it would be like how they were in Power of the Doctor. Hey, guys. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) But yeah, that is chat GPT's recommendation or idea or fucking whatever we want to call it for the next multi-Doctor Doctor Who special. It needs to hurry up before they aren't here to do them. I'm just going to send this to RTD. Yeah, I think he has said that he's not really interested in writing multi-doctor stories. He has said that in interviews, yeah. uh, which I kind of yeah, I, I, I understand get. his reasons for it, but also like they are such like joyous fan moments at times that I, I will always love when they happen, and I'm sure we've not seen the last of them. Yeah, especially with how these uh, specials ended. Shall we talk about the specials? Shall we move on? Yes. I think so. (laughs) So, the first special, named The Star Beast. Yeah, which is an adaption of, or a loose adaption, of a classic fan-favourite comic, Doctor Who comic, uh, where where the Meep was first introduced. Um, But I, I haven't read. Have you read this, TC? Um, I've not. I've, I'm not really a, a big uh, comics guy. He can't but... read. No, no, I, <laughs> I can't read. Don't don't ask about what degree I've got. Um, but but during the credits, when I when I saw the name Dave Gibbons, I'm like, hang on, the guy that drew Watchmen, <laughs> and and then it all clicked. So I'm I'm aware of the the comics origin. I think this special had so much riding on it. Yes, definitely. And luckily, I think it hit the mark. It wasn't perfect. You know, I absolutely loved this special, and it was not what I was expecting, but I think it is what I needed. That's uh, the, that's to the be. best thing, isn't it? Yeah, because I... W- I was kind of expecting these specials to be like one big epic three-part story. Like we said, like other doctors popping up and past companions popping up and all these crazy things happening that are just going to be there to please the fans, which happened a bit in in the, well, quite a lot, I guess, in the 50th special. Um, and I guess that's kind of what what I was thinking of. Um, I was thinking, you know, this is an anniversary special, so that's what it's going to be. And this episode just felt so much like a season four episode. It felt so much like it was just the Doctor and Donna back together and they just instantly clicked back together. Like, as soon as they were on screen together again, I was just like, yes, this, this is just what I love. It is the best like doctor companion relationship, and it just it just felt like not necessarily an anniversary special. It was just a very good episode of Doctor Who, which maybe that's all an anniversary special needs to be. It's just a good standard episode of Doctor Who that really showcases the kind of thing this show can be at its best. One thing I did see, and this um, 
made me quite sad. So I know you mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned it on a podcast or if you just mentioned it to me in person in passing, Jason. Yeah, I'll try not to talk to you unless we're recording a podcast. Well, <laughs> you mentioned something about Davros not being disabled and people kicking off about it. Okay, so Russell, that was on the yeah. Children's Union special. Yes. Um, so the BBC yeah. report sent a report out to basically say that it got over 100 complaints about Doctor Who's Rose Noble. Um, and I think one complaint is actually a 1,000 notifications to the BBC. No, it, it's like because most people that are offended by something won't bother to complain. So I think that's like, if they get one complaint, they would estimate that like, yeah, a thousand people are offended or whatever. I've heard this. The complaints were for two things: being anti-male, but also an inappropriate inclusion of a transgendered character. I think it's very sad that a transgender character on a primetime show elicits this kind of response. It's just the wording of inappropriate inclusion. Yeah, because people think. That a trans that transgender characters is inappropriate. I've seen people. Oh, is that what it means? I thought it meant yeah. like portraying transgendered wrong. I, I've seen people like throwing around the word grooming about the this episode because it includes a transgender character, and that's just the kind of people that that are. What I'm going to say is she was probably one of my favourite characters in this episode. She was brilliant. She was brilliant. She was absolutely and, fantastic. And uh, Russell T. Davies has also said that she will be back. Which she she needs to be. Uh, just I, her... I, I, hope, I hope so, because, again, I, I thought Yasmin Finney, is that... I think so, yeah. That, yeah, um, yeah. He gave a fantastic performance. Um, I, have, I have seen criticism that like potentially the character was actually absent from like basically the middle of the episode um which i think is fair and so i definitely definitely like to see her her come back i think you know there were a couple of scenes where she could have had more agency but i think we've done really well the the scene with donna and her mother just talking um, about her identity was so classly done and felt so organic. And the bit yeah. where the grandma slipped and said, I, I never called her beautiful when he was, and then realized that was wrong. So I'll get so clumsy. That felt so genuine and organic. Just real. Like a, a generation just trying to get it right. And the scene before where the boys from school dead named her, um, <laughs> That made me feel uncomfortable, and it should, because that was yeah. the point. And Donna's and, reaction and, to that. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I do watch, like, trans creators, because Elephant in the Room, we've got three cis straight guys here talking about it. Um, but I do I do try to hear other voices. But, like, um, uh, Chris Oteen, you know, he, he, he basically said, like, those boys are the little boys watching Doctor Who, and maybe they see themselves and see that this is clearly wrong, well, maybe that will change their opinion. And that's that's always been his attitude. It's like, what is it, what's the conversation going to be in the playground the next day? 
And I think so. I think that was done well. Yeah, and I think it, like you said, it does it does kind of make you uncomfortable. And the easy thing to do would be to kind of skirt around that and to not face it head on. And 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 I think that would be the the wrong thing to do. Like if I was writing this episode, I I I would feel like I had to be so careful um, w- when writing dialogue around uh, the character of Rose. Like you said, the the conversation with Donna and her mum, where they're actually discussing like trying to get it right and and what this means and and not understanding themselves and. And I think that's fine because that's something that I think a lot of people uh, who are not necessarily transphobic, but I think a lot of people are like, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can say that you're not the gender that you were born as. And what I always like, as a like you just said, like as, as a cis man, I get I, I don't understand because I'm not in that situation. I think the important thing is that you don't have to understand necessarily. You, you just you yeah, must accept. You have to accept. People try to exist. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had um, you know, mom. If you're listening to this, I love you so much. But I've had this conversation. We've got a mom listening. She'd better be. But <laughs> she she said to me she doesn't get it. Even though I consider myself an ally, I'm not the person to ask. Find someone. That is find someone that does understand and talk to them as a person so you can get their perspective. And in fact, in a way, I kind of it, it's great that there's been representation in this episode. It's a shame that that has to be the talking point. Like, it, you know, it, it would be great if that was the point of controversy and we could just talk about everything else in the episode that um because you know i thought it was just such a a, a fun time like a fun adventure with a, a great little hit of nostalgia for everybody completely agree couldn't have said it better yeah brilliant and i i, I loved how uh rose had unknowingly named herself after rose tyler there's just those like background memories that she's picked up from her mum from being the Doctor Donna. It... As, as as soon as they they said that that's what this character was going to be called, I'm like, right, okay, that's going to link back to it. Yeah, and if you think about um going back to what I was saying about turn left, like Rose is an incredibly important person to Donna, so it, it just makes sense. It's when the Doctor hears that she's called rose yeah and it's that sudden like mental stutter that he has and then just goes hello like the joy <laughs> that she is called that yeah yeah it's and something then... i always loved about um about again like i said they, they just have such good best friend energy and previous uh i'm gonna say previous companions martha was always very jealous of the idea of rose that like oh that that was that was like me before you had before you were traveling with me was you just had another one um where donna was was so supportive and there's in that uh 
I, I, I is it the I don't think it's the end of turn left, is it? I think it's the beginning of the next episode where you know the, the doctor's panicking and flustered and plainly and she's just like, you know, calm down. I, I know all this is bad, but Rose is coming back. And it's like she's so happy for yeah. the doctor yeah. to be getting to see Rose again. That was such a refreshing thing about Donna's character. There was no romantic interest. There was no jealousy. There's, you know, jealousy is inherently unsexy, I think. And so it was refreshing to see that. And if we don't mind sort of skipping to the very end of the episode, just for a comparison, when there was that wonderful bit with with her and Sean, and it's like, you know, some husbands wouldn't like uh, their wife, you know, in a box with another man. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, not him. <laughs> that was wonderful. And can I just say as well, I thought Carl Collins as Sean Temple was excellent. And I was just thinking they were so lucky that that's who they cast for maybe a non-speaking role 15 years ago just to be marrying her. And he was pitch perfect, in my opinion, through this entire episode. I really liked Sean Temple. I do. This is the one joke, and I think it's fantastic. I'm trying not to say fantastic so much because it's so in my head now. But the joke about Meep's pronouns. Yes. Where the doctor's like, he's 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 okay. And they're like, Are you assuming his pronouns? It's like, it's like, oh, sorry. And then asks Meep. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like that line was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but also kind of does make sense when it, it like this like weird little fluffy alien without an obvious gender that you automatically do go to yeah. using like male pronouns um and, and especially amusing when it's being voiced by Mir Miriam Margulies <laughs> how amazing was she throughout this um, but again, um, a, a a YouTuber that uh, I'm a really big fan of, um, Council of Geeks, Vera Wild, um, you know, uh, mentioned that, and uh, they were saying uh, this is, you know, a trans non-binary person. So uh, you know, I'll trust their judgment on this. They were saying a a uh, a sort of a pronouns joke that actually worked. They were absolutely on board with it because normally, if someone's making that joke, they're rolling their eyes. The doctor was just like, "Actually, yes, tell me about it." And they're like, <laughs> and um, another point that I didn't think of at the time because people are getting fixated on it. They've been. We have a character, as the Doctor says, that uses the definite article anyway. And you go back to stories from like the 60s, the 70s. You've got um, uh, Alpha Centauri, who is a a, 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 a non-traditionally gendered character. And the Doctor is just like, it's not a he or a she, it's a they. Like that's, you know, the Doctor's so, always been the champion of so everyone. It's... Yeah, I, I I don't just want to I don't just want to talk about the like woke stuff. Um, Welcome to News of the Nerd now streaming in woke. <laughs> but um, it, it, you you do see those people online, don't you? That are like, I prefer Doctor Who before it became political. Like, oh, when was that? Tell me when <laughs> that was. The same people who preferred Star Trek before it became political. <laughs> 
<laughs> X Men. Why do you have to make think... comic books political? Like they were political, like before you were born. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Oh, um, who now in the Doctor's second story? Uh, who is he? Who who did he meet and fight with? Oh yes, an allegory for the Nazis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I did. Did you watch? Sorry, this is like slightly off topic. Did you watch the colorized? I did indeed. That was fun. Yeah. Werewolf the at Night. Guys had a lot of fun, didn't they? The colorized werewolf at night. No, <laughs> no. Doctor Who and the Daleks. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they, they they recolorized the classic uh, William Hartnell episode, uh, which was really great because uh, we, we'd recent we'd watched we decided to watch the like first and last. So we watched an unearthly child, and we watched uh, I can't remember what it's called, but like the. The first the Doctor's planet? last story uh, with the Cybermen. Yeah. And I think probably because he was being written out, he just has very little agency in that and just doesn't seem he very doctor He also doctor-y. wasn't very well at all. No. He, 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 I, I recently watched like a retrospective on the ver- on William Hart's Doctor. He actually got bronchitis right. and not long before shooting so he really wasn't well so it was nice to to go back and watch that daleks episode and actually you, you see him being much doctorier yeah just back on the actual special yeah. i feel like starting with the ted talk presentation kind of about donna noble's history was a strange choice but it really worked and it, I feel oh like my... it, it gave us a moment to settle back in. Yeah, and there to will it. be people that haven't rewatched that series since. There will be people watching it that didn't watch that first time round, probably. Um, so you, you you do have to make these things accessible to to new and old fans because as you much know. as um many people didn't like the Chris Chibnall era. I know a lot of people who started watching it in that era because they were yep. so intrigued by the idea of the Doctor getting to be female for the first time. Um, so, yeah, you, you have to make it accessible to those people as well, and I feel like that's what that opening was for. Yep. There are fans that probably weren't alive in 2008 when that happened. Oh, my think- God. You've <laughs> made me feel so old. <laughs> More than welcome. <laughs> I, th- I think it was it was refreshing to have an episode of genuinely hilarious moments mm-hmm. after Chibnall's cringeworthy boomer humour. <laughs> boomer humour. <laughs> boomer humour. Oh, that, 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 Do you know what I mean, though? Sprinkling, like, it there's has... a sprinkling of that in um in some of the specials. I did write in my notes. I know I'm jumping ahead for the uh, the giggle. Uh, old man yells at Cloud. He's <laughs> he's been writing notes. Yeah, uh, this is a prepared <laughs> guest. Far too professional for this podcast. We don't even write notes. I sometimes write like headline notes. Talk about Doctor Who. Yeah. That's what I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in that segment as well I don't know if this is really important but when obviously they had like flashbacks when they were talking to that series which was talking about her daughter and the clip that they showed of, of Rose was actually from the giggle oh was it? yeah so if you go back and watch that the clip they showed of her was actually her at the uh, the sort of garden party from the very very end I'm like okay that's interesting 
Yeah, it, uh, and it might have just been like, oh, that's a good shot of Rose, so we'll use that and no one will know any different. Uh, but it, it could have also been like, well, this is a time travel show, so... I want to talk about the meat. Go for it. Because, do you know what? I didn't sit... I don't know if you two are the same, but I didn't think this, that the meat was the villain. I, no, I didn't see that coming. I, I thought there <laughs> might be more there and it might be a bit more complicated than we uh, at first thought. But yeah, I, I didn't see like a full-on villainous turn coming. I do love how... Because I think some movies, Ant-Man, can't get CGI right, whereas the meat didn't look bad. Well, that, it wasn't fully CG. Yeah. Did you watch the... Um... It was partial, though, weren't they? Yeah, but, but that's what... They, they, yeah, they used it to enhance it, but um, there was a physical meat. Uh, did you watch any of the um, Doctor Unleashed? I, I didn't for that episode. I watched Unleashed for uh, Wild Blue Yonder, and I'm, I'm planning on watching the one for uh, The Giggle. I've just not got around to that yet. Um, I, I would watch it. Um, there's a bit I thought was so very sweet. They brought Pat Mills and Dave Gibbon in to meet the meat. <laughs> and that was wonderful. They were moved almost to tears to to see it. And uh, David Tennant was so excited to come and tell them how big, big of a fan he was. It was so awesome and delightful. Yeah, that is brilliant. Yeah, no, I will. I will give it a watch because I used to love Doctor Who Confidential. I was so sad when that went away. You know, have, having it back in like a new form is yeah. Great. But but that that's that scene in in the shed where Donna meets the meat was so <laughs> genuinely hilarious. Um, but yeah, like when because I rewatched it today, like you guys said, I didn't see I I didn't see it coming the villain turn. I just was going along with it. And if you watch the episode back, it, all the seeds are planted. Like watching back with the knowledge, like. Oh yes, of course. So that is it's really good writing, you know, it's 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 all there. You just go along with it at the time. Yeah. Um also of all the toys that are revealed to be um, you know, the the memories of Donna's adventures or the doctor's adventures, um, which toy is Meep holding? Meep's holding Satan from the Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the giveaway. Foreshadowing. Yeah, um, though one of the toys that's revealed, and sorry if I'm going on a tangent, um, looked to me like Carvin Easter or a member of the Lupari. Um, and I, I uh, at some point I'll rewatch the Flux series again to see if it does make any sense to me. But one of my feelings at the end of that series was I was so upset that the Lupari got wiped out, like. Yeah, the human race does not deserve the Lupari. <laughs> <laughs> they are the best boys. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I bet there's so many Easter eggs in in that shed, though. Uh, that yeah, I, I, th th there'll be some deep dive YouTube videos on it. I've no doubt. Um, I did think it was in like I I never made the connection at the time, but obviously the 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 big villain of these three specials that turned up in the third one was the toy maker. Rose is a toy maker. I just never oh, put that together oh. in my head. I still hadn't. 
Oh, I I think I think that the the woman in Dubai is going to turn out to be the big bad. That's my crazy theory. Yeah, no, I I, I woman in Dubai. So, yeah, so there's a woman in Dubai that buys all Rose's toys uh, that yeah. she makes. Um, there's also there's another line in that that I I like really clinged on to, and when. So before she's seen the doctor and and Donna's out on the street and she's picking up everything she's dropped, and she says, "Never trust a man with a goatee." Do we think that's something? Is she talking about the master? I don't know. I do you know when I know it's skipping to the third special, but he mentions that the only person he was actually scared of was the one who waits. Yes, I've seen a thing talking about Rory because he is referenced multiple times. It's not going to be Rory. It is not going to be. But he has been referenced as that multiple times. But there's also there's also an episode uh, called "The Girl Who Waits." So maybe he's afraid of Amy. I would be more afraid of Amy than Rory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know? What I love one thing I, I that was done so well in in this first special was how emotional they made where the doctors got to reactivate the meta crisis. Yeah, and how like strung out they made it because every word with every word you knew what was about to happen and then it started happening you're like no oh my now, god now this is not my observation but if you watch it back she doesn't start repeating the lines until the 10th one yeah oh I like, oh the, uh, the actual 10th yeah. word I knew she'd not yeah. done it until later on once she started remembering but that is quite a good detail. I like that. I don't think that that can't have been done accidentally. Then no, no, definitely not. Um, but I think but yeah, that that scene was so moving um, before, and I felt like there was like a mirror to the end of time, where obviously it was a decision where it was him or Wolf, and yeah. then he had to decide. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but all the words actually meant something. Oh yeah. It was from different episodes. There was like little, the words correlated to things that had happened in their episodes. Um, uh, it's one Sparrow, like Sally Sparrow. Yeah. Again, that's something where like I knew that they would all mean something. And I thought I'll go back at some point and work out what they all mean or I'll watch a YouTube video where someone's already done the hard work. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, I, I always say, like no, nothing in TV and films should be by accident. Not nothing should be without thought, because you know it is. If it's well crafted, then everything will mean something. Russell T. Davis has obviously um, thought about this so much. Yeah, but I I want to ask, what did you guys think of the let go of the meta crisis sort of thing? I know there's been there's been quite a few underwhelming opinions online i think it felt so, a again, bit too think, easy yeah it did feel a bit too easy but then i also think it was kind of nice but it did feel too easy yeah at the, at the time you know i just i just went along with it and i think you know i've, I've heard uh i know some people have got like really hot and bothered about like sort of the the, the phrasing of it and the the, the We're women we can just let it go yeah you know just pull your jets a little bit i i did think that was like so she she says like something a male presenting time lord could never understand is is that 
It's something like that, the line, isn't it? And I thought that felt like a bit of a stretch when the Doctor has just been female. But I've, I've, again, heard, I've heard that, yeah. I'm not going to get I, worked up about it. <laughs> I think people have said, like, it's, it's just it's just a, having a jab at a friend. I think that's the best yeah. way to interpret it. Something that went through all of these as well, a theme that I saw and I thought was amazing, David Tennant's ability to reprise his role as the 10th Doctor with a slightly altered personality and really show the turmoil that obviously over the 13th Doctor's episodes, the turmoil of what's actually come to revelation and still trying to come to grips with that. I don't feel like it's so much like a new personality. I feel like it's 10 but with the extra baggage of what has happened yeah. since, like with, with more trauma. Yeah. But I think that is a very skillful thing to do. It would have been very easy for him to just be the 10th Doctor again. Yeah. I, I, I know I know some people have um, felt ashamed that he wasn't like more different. Like uh, I think some people wanted him to be really distinct. Uh, but like I, I do get it. Like he said in interviews, it like wouldn't be worth bringing bringing me back if I was playing it completely differently. Yeah, and the the whole story is kind of that was his favorite face, his favorite companion. That's where he he felt at home. Yeah, like it it was it was the one time that regeneration was tre like something tragic like he really didn't want to stop being that doctor his last words I don't oh want my to god oh yeah. my god but then he, even before that he's put off regeneration once by redirecting the energy into his hand and then, and like, then he's still, prolonged like, it to see everyone so yeah I, I i can buy the idea that like that is that is his favourite version of himself. And I reckon, like, regeneration is probably subconscious in some way. Yeah, we get that with the Peter Capaldi Yeah, uh, regeneration as well. He regenerates into what he needs. He, he regenerates to remind himself of who he should be, which again goes back to Fires of Pompeii. Yeah, and that was such a... I'm so glad that... I know it's off topic, but regenerating to Peter Cabaldi is like, why this face? I'm so glad that they didn't just brush over the fact that Peter Capaldi was in Fires of Pompeii. I'm so glad that they actually acknowledged yeah. the link. Okay, so moving on to the next episode. Right, I said, I know TC said you, this was probably your favourite, and I think, Jason, you said it was. This is my favourite of the three, yeah. It, it, I think it is probably as a as a special, it is my least favorite. But as an episode, it is like ten. It's ten out of ten. It it didn't feel like a special. It felt like an episode, or just a normal episode. But that's what I was saying. Maybe that's all these specials needed to be were just really good episodes, and that's what this was. And it's what the yeah. Star Beast was was just like straight for like it's just these episodes of Doctor Who. And it's episodes with with, with, with your favourite companion and your favourite Doctor and 
written by your favorite writer and you've got everything you want back here you go enjoy it i mean you don't don't need to do to do anything more than that you don't need to do anything other than make good tv i'm really interested in what tc's bojack horseman references to the (laughs) wild blue yonder (laughs) Uh, so going straight to that the um just the fact that when we finally see this captain we see her corpse like she's got a sort of horse-shaped head <laughs> and it's like oh she was some kind of amazing horsewoman <laughs> just there like bojack <laughs> there's bojack's mum but so i know everything is worse something i've just clicked on from you saying jason in the first one that rose is essentially a toy maker making all these toys in the second episode, the Doctor has all of his toys taken away. Mm. He has his TARDIS, his screwdriver, yeah. all taken away, and he has to rely on him. Oh, wait, that's something we didn't talk about from the first episode, sorry. What did you think about the Sonic Screwdriver's new abilities? It, I'll be honest, which I loved one? It. it felt a bit overpowered. When he was, like, drawing shields with his screwdriver, and there was another time he drew, like, a touch screen interactive one thing i i i wish they'd have done because they've done it with every single screwdriver is they've zoomed in on the new screwdriver and like gone like matt smith went "Ooh, i like do you know what i mean yeah maybe it just wasn't sticking around long enough to well i don't i don't know because I know it isn't because have you seen the new Doctor's screwdriver? It looks weird. It looks weird. I've not it's seen it. Not, it's not. A, it's it looks like a BlackBerry. It looks like a TV remote or something. <laughs> yeah, but I think this screwdriver looks so cool. Yeah, like um, you said about it being overpowered. Um, at the at the time, again, I just thought it was a load of fun. Like I think I made a joke about, oh yeah, it happened with the the latest software update, you know. (laughs) It moved on to Windows 11. Yeah, 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 that bridges the gap. But think about it, like, it's not like an instant thing. It took a good while for him to do that. The only reason he could is because they were being distracted. It's not something that you could pull out of the bag quickly. So I, I just, it felt fun in the scene. So I went along with it. I was surprised with the second, because as you said, Jason, I did think it was going to be a continuation story, but they were very three very individual stories. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so this is the one that I did watch the uh, the Unleashed for, and it showed you them like designing all the, the basically the space station that they're on. Uh, it's mostly CG, and I think. I think you could. T- I'd, I always prefer physical sets and physical props, animatronics, and models and things like. I always think look better. Um, I, I, I don't don't think it quite had the budget to to really make it look good. But it's also something as as vast and open as what they were on wouldn't have been able to do practically. So I understand why they did that. The way it kept changing shape and everything. Yeah. Um. But speaking of, because uh, I know some people have complained about like the C, the CG and stuff, and and obviously they did use a mixture of practical and CG. I was not expecting to get a a taste of Attack on Titan 
<laughs> Doctor Who would do Swan, if you know this the scene I'm all about where the uh the, the sort of the fake Doctor and Donna become massive and start chasing them and oh, the yes. But that gave me such an attack on Titan vibe and I'm not mad about it in the slightest. <laughs> I do love how they built tension in this though, because it was it, it was like half an hour in until we actually got any sort of action yeah this is up there with like blink and midnight yeah i, I, I felt like it creepy was on... episodes have you seen the film moon uh yes so i definitely got moon meets midnight the fact that it's you know uh barring the the opening sort of you know funny bit to sort of you know put us in a, a happy mood before it all got really really t- um you know we had very very limited actors and this is you know what i was saying like david tennant and Catherine tate they just fit into their their characters from 15 years ago so well that then they got the opportunity to act completely differently in this against each other and it just really really showcased their talent i think they they both shine throughout all the specials I know some some fans were upset about the fact that Russell T. Davis actually acknowledged the Timeless Child, but I, having actually watched them now, I'm down with the Timeless yeah. Child because I've ne- I've never hated it. Like I've, it I, makes I, sense I... that the Doctor is because there's always been this thing about how the Doctor is the like the Time Lords were scared of him, and he is the best Time Lord. Do you know what I mean? And the fact that he's now, they are the now the Timeless Child makes sense as to why they are the epitome of Time Lords, if you get what I mean. But, They've so, got something on top of being the Time Lord, in a way. My issue with the Timeless Child stuff is... The, f- the, the 12th Doctor's, the 11th Doctor's stuff. What? So, do you know, and I don't know if this is... Let him speak, Ben. This wrong. Do you know how the 11th Doctor gets given more regenerations? Yeah. The Timeless Child wouldn't need that because it was only Time Lords that were limited to But, the but I guess if they, they worked out how to... Limit his. Replicate it. Then, yeah. yeah they're, like, they're in control of that now, so they could control his as well, maybe. But no. Um, now, my issue with the Timeless Child is that... I feel like you don't need to make the Doctor more special. I think it is better if it's just like, no, this is the Time Lord that chose to travel the universe and do as much good as possible because it's a choice to do that, not because they are any different to the other Time Lords inherently. It's the same reason that I don't like the stuff in Amazing Spider-Man 2, where it's like, no, you have these superpowers because your dad was doing experiments or like spider-man should be able to be anyone and the doctor well you know okay it's not going to be anyone but any any time lord should be able to do what the doctor does and anybody should be able to choose to try and be as good as the doctor um i i don't think you need to do anything more to be like no this is why this one person is special I get, I get it. I, I, think... I feel like it takes away from the character of the Doctor by giving them more specialness. I I really don't think it does take anything away. And I don't want to take away your opinion, and a lot of people share that, but 
the doctor, way too nice. The doctor did what the doctor wanted to do because they were the doctor. The doctor yeah. had no knowledge of that, and they didn't need to add, add that backstory. But to me, it, it didn't take anything away either. Um, I, I guess I've, I've heard some people say that it should have been the other way. That it should have been the other way around. Like maybe the master should have been the the timeless child. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, I... Kind of, I think <laughs> I kind of agree with what you're saying, TC. In terms of it, definitely didn't take any for where anything away. And the doctor was raised as he was led to believe that he was Gallifreyan, and he chose to be the doctor, the healer, the per- pe- person that helps people. I feel like the thing that the timeless child stuff added is the turmoil, and I really like that. Since since the timeless t- child stuff it's kind of put the doctor in a way questioning who they are. Yeah. Regardless of what I've said, the timeless child stuff is canon. And I don't understand these people who like it, something happens that they don't like. And they're like, retcon that, that like, no, like it is canon. Now it has happened. It was done so well. Wasn't it? That scene. I think I, was just excellent. The one with the master show it showing the stuff. No, I mean the the scene in this episode with the fake Donna. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well. I, I don't I, I don't just want to find reasons to keep Chibnall bashing. But <laughs> Ru- fucking Chibnall! Russell T. Davis gave the flux and the timeless child more emotional weight in these episodes than Chris Chibnall managed in all his run. I would agree with you. I would uh, like. I would absolutely agree with you. I, I, you know, I wasn't annoyed at the timeless child thing when it happened. I was annoyed that they really didn't do anything meaningful with it. That seemed like a, if you're going to, if you're going to shake things up like that, follow through. And I think that's my problem with that era. There was no real follow through. The review that I've seen of this episode has literally this quote in it. Mm-hmm. Some fans will be upset that RTD acknowledged the timeless child as canon. I'm okay with it, as this one scene lent more emotional weight to it than Chibnall ever did. <laughs> I mean, that's. <laughs> did I write that review? What you said, Jason, and I couldn't yeah. agree more. I think one thing I did absolutely love about this episode was how Doctor Who it felt when the Doctor was figuring out. The reason everything was figuring out everything to do with the ship, why the ship, why the robot was working, why the captain was out, and everything like that. But because of the body double sort of thing, the yeah. double was figuring it out, and that just yeah. felt so pure, Doctor yeah. Who. I love the idea that that he knew he knew working it out was the wrong thing to do, and he was trying not to, cannot, cannot, not do it because that's who he is. Yeah. There's a couple of things I wrote about that um, where where they're repeating like think 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 um, was really good, and I loved when the fake doctor just said almost like a little kid, "We're as smart as you now." Yeah, <laughs> oh, I think that was so good. The line when the TARDIS reappears, though, when he's like, 
he he there's just that little bit of extra thing that he'd not figured out and then he went wait the tardis is programmed to run away when there's danger but if the ship's about to blow up then there's no more danger yeah so it and it and i was just this this episode did just feel like that's why i'm saying as a special it didn't feel like a special it felt just like pure doctor who it did feel like an episode that could have just slot very nicely into season four and i'm not mad about that but again you know we've we've had the reintroduction of of these of these characters being as they were in season four and then we've just put them alone in a situation where they get to be like analyzed and and you sort of see where they are who they became and that and, and having to to sort of almost deconstructed with the fact that they they don't know who's who and are having to convince yeah. it like you know it doesn't not everything has to be a big bombastic thing you know you're saying it didn't feel like a special it's 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 again see it's more the special is the fact you've got a mini series and i i thought this was a really good middle part between two really big and bombastic episodes yeah it, it's a it's a classic kind of bottle episode yeah, it just gets to really drill down into the characters and do a deep dive into like who they are. I love Doctor Who episodes that are filler episodes, but don't feel like filler episodes. If you know what I mean, and this is what that this this is what this felt like. Doctor Who used to every episode was a filler episode before the reboot because there was very rarely an overarching plot. Yeah, I think at the start of this episode, when the Doctor says, Donna's talking about how hot Isaac Newton was, and the Doctor's like, yeah, he was really hot. It's like, oh, is that what I think like now? (laughs) Just that little throwaway comment. But what we're going to say is, sorry to Chibnall bash again, (laughs) but these three specials had more character development in the writing than two seasons of Chibnall. To be fair, this three. one episode did. Three. Three episodes. Was three, three seasons. Was three seasons of Chris Chibnall, I think? Yes. Yeah, sorry. This 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 one episode had more character ve- development than three seasons of Chibnall. We just... Russell T. Davis, I know you're listening. We love you. Yeah, he's listening to every single podcast that talks about these Doctor Who specials because that's how committed he is. Do you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if he's if he not that he listened to everyone, but if he listened to podcasts and videos of people reviewing Doctor Who because he's clearly been watching the show. Yeah, I don't know. As, as a creator, in a way though, I really hope he doesn't because the last thing that these creators need to do is listen to the fans. Like I'm so you like, the majority think- of fans. Well, I think you made a really good point earlier, Jason. You were saying you were expecting it to be something else, and it wasn't. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, there's a... I'm probably going to get this wrong. There's a quote from Nicholas Myers, who is involved in some of the Star Trek movies. And, and he, he, you know, he would say, like, you know, the, the, the fans think they know what they want until we give it to them. Yeah. And I feel like the creatives need to kind of have that attitude and confidence... Okay, let's move on to the final episode. 
Can I just say one more one more quote that I really love from that last episode? Of course. They're like, there's a chair, that's good. That means there are life forms with a bum. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I also, before we move on, I just I I kind of love the fact that at, at, at the end the doctor does get it wrong and picks the wrong Donna. And it, it just shows that no matter how brilliant and smart he is, he's not infallible. And he can be outsmarted. I didn't know initially. He's like, oh, well, did, did he know? Or is this, was he being super clever? No, he just got it wrong and yeah. had to try and style it out after. That's why I hate Superman, because Superman just seems to be too perfect. You've not, you've not read I, enough Superman. I'm not... <laughs> I, I I feel like that's that's the quote of someone that doesn't hasn't seen a lot of Superman media. I've seen like movies, I, that's I, I I've you know I I'm not a comic book reader, but I've you know I know of enough good stories. Okay, so the final special, the main thing I want to point is Neil Patrick Harris's Toy Maker is fantastic. He <laughs> fantastic plays again. this he plays this part. So well, and in the bloopers, we are going to have a clip together section of every time we've said fantastic. I'm not. No, that would <laughs> the one thing I do want to mention, because it has been bugging me and I've wanted to mention it a whole episode, they fully retconned the toy maker. How so? So in the original, the original series with the toy maker, the whole point is that the, the games were always leaned in the toy maker's favor because he hated losing. And then in this episode, obviously the doctor says that he's governed by the laws of games and that he's not allowed to cheat. I think cheating and, and leaning in his favor are two different things. Um, you know, he, he might try and give himself the advantage but that's different to out-and-out out cheating. If he out-and-out out cheated, then the Doctor wouldn't have been able to beat him the first time round. I mean, that's that's not really a, 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 a retcon as such. That's, that's kind of just how it felt to me. You, so have you, have you listened to the... Because the original doesn't exist now, does it? So have you listened to it? I've, I've listened to clips of it. Okay, know. so... But you, so, I don't know... Um, maybe if you listen to the whole thing, it would be different, or maybe it would reinforce what you said. I don't know. Yeah, they are animating it. Have you seen the stills that they've released? No. from the animation, like very different style to the episodes of animated before. Um, I've heard someone's an independently done one. I don't know if that's if they're going to do more. Uh, no, I'm sure these have been released like by on like on the official Doctor Who like Facebook page and things. The animation cool. style of it looks it kind of reminds me of like Clone Wars. Okay. Which I was never really a fan of the animation of. I like Clone Wars, uh, what I've seen of it. Still like only the first season. Um but There's I so many never quite got on got to grips with the animation of it. But I'm looking forward to to, to, to see in like the full full animated story, I'm disappointed that they didn't get it out like before this episode because I would have loved to have watched that first and then this as a as a sequel. Something I loved in this is when uh, David Tennant describes his first encounter with the toy maker and says like when I was so young. 
and like just him describing being William Hartnell as when he was young. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone else notice the comment? I think it was actually in the second one, but he mentioned he's a billion years old. Yeah, don't, please don't take that literally. I'm that just not a literal comment. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, how it made me think, how old is he now? Because we know, like, in Matt Smith's episodes, do you know when Rory and Amy he's were a together? He's thousand years old. There were like there were like hundreds and thousands of years yeah. between his visits. So I think it, um, Chris Trickleston said it was nine hundred. Yeah, in those episodes. Um, but then, yeah, that there have been big jumps as it's gone on. Um, I, I like how long did Matt Smith spend at the the town of Christmas? That was was that hundreds of years? I can't. I, I think can't remember. It, I think Peter Capaldi's doctor said he was like two thousand years old. Yeah, that makes sense. But equally, in the classic series, the doctor said he was like nine hundred and fifty. So nine hundred and fifty three. Okay. Oh no! So, some people have actually cal- like gathered it, and they said he he could be anywhere near a billion years old. I mean, he could be, but depending how long between stories. Yeah, but they've said like based on like what people have said, because um, the twelfth was somewhere around two thousand. I, I I yeah, but I I agree with TC. I don't think he did mean it literally. I don't think he's meant to be a billion years old. No, it just made me think of how old is he now. I think he's probably lost count. <laughs> so just <laughs> a billion. Yeah, why not? In the nicest way, it doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> he's got a calendar on Tardis. <laughs> One thing I did love about Soymaker was the accent changes. Yes, because of how seamless they were. Going yeah. from, going from the German, and he's like, "Und this is why I really don't get it." Like it was just such a sudden change of his accents. Yeah, and the, the guy. And this is Neil Patrick Harris being an amazing actor. The guy at the beginning even points it out, doesn't he? He goes, "Your accent slipped." <laughs> yeah, I love that. After he made the sort of subtly racist comment, it was very throwaway. That comment, though. Yeah. The, like like a lot of it like a lot of pe- a lot of people's racism is not you know overtly obviously racism it's it's that kind of insidiousness thinking you're making a polite comment i did want them to go into a bit more detail on kind of the toy makers domain because i feel like a lot of the unexpected things that happened in this episode like the by by generation and things like that were hinted towards the because the Toymaker's domain was still active. I honestly feel like they kind of missed the trick not saying that was down to the Toymaker. Like they were saying, oh, this is a, a an ancient Time Lord myth. Yeah. And even at the uh and even at the end, um the, uh, the new doctor was saying, oh well maybe it's still active. I've won my prize and you that know, was fantastic. The, the it was a great scene, but I'm thinking, you know, why shoot why shoot yourself in, in the foot by having such a out of nowhere thing that was not set up when we've been praising Russell T. Davies' writing um for the emotion and, and setting things up and thinking things through. Um I th- I'm I'm going to counter and say I like I really enjoyed this episode, don't get me wrong. But he is sometimes an indulgent writer. 
Yeah, and I think there were definitely some indulgences. Uh, yeah, in yeah. here as well. I think. I, we think I think it would have, like, I like the comment about it being a myth, but I think it could have added something if they just said, like, it's it's meant it's like a time lord myth. It shouldn't be possible with the laws of physics in place, and that would have kind of just, yeah, I, fixed see, it. I, I thought the toy maker was because. I'd I'd seen rumors online that something like this was going to happen and there were going to be two doctors at the end of it. Um when the toy maker started saying like I played my first game against one doctor and my second against another I thought he was going to say so the next game I will play against two doctors and then he was going to split him somehow. And then not, no it was just trying to make him yeah. regenerate and it it doesn't so yeah I I really loved like the first probably three quarters uh, yeah three quarters of this episode I I I do have trouble getting my head around the bi generation and what caused it and maybe we'll maybe we'll get answers yeah, to that yeah there's wrong with it definitely but, um, but it's it wasn't alluded to was it but I I also I don't really know I don't get how I I, I don't really get how it works. Because what I thought at first is that, like, he, he was split like at that moment, and so both of those doctors should kind of be like have the same memories and and be like in the same place. Um, but then there are comments towards the end. So like Donna says to to the new doctor, like you're the oldest doctor because you come later. You're older than him. Like no, that does, no. Surely they're the same age. I think they, that they was. Should, the, I think that was a joke. They they should be exactly the same age. No, but then he says like, we're doing therapy out of order. So does that mean that he actually does come later in the timeline? Does that mean that eventually? I, I, I think when that, I think 14... that's more just in, in in general how he's being like. Like just just the doctor in general as as a person, yeah. like not you know not slowing down and yeah. I thought does that mean that when fourteen eventually like regenerates, he's going to like reappear at that moment, and and, and like be, be be pulled back there and because why why does fourteen need therapy and fifteen doesn't? Because they both got the same traumas, surely. Unless he's already worked through it as David Tennant's doctor, and so now he's over but it. Is, is that the by generation? Is that the by generation and that the fact that the traumas kind of all been left on the fourteenth? Shoot, you get what the fifteenth now? Yeah. yeah. There were just things like that at the end that I, I just, I didn't feel like made sense, and I. I yeah. didn't feel and and like the was, fact he wasn't okay, wearing well, trousers. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. He had a shirt, but no trousers. So I um so I feel like there is a lot of overthinking in the last thing, and I'm absolutely guilty of that as well. But let's think of it another way. How we've seen the Doctor as as they've regenerated, they've they've had a new lease on life. Like there may have been trauma and like, they'll still carry it and bring it on later. But like, again, Christopher Eccleston to, to David Tennant and they sort of, they've got that new lease of life. The new doctor 
has that new lease on life. Like they've acknowledged the trauma and aware of it. And I mean, they're doing the thing, they're doing what they called out David Tennant stopped from doing on not stopping that they're, they're heading off. But David Tennant is the doctor that has just regenerated and nothing has changed. They've not had a renewal. They've not had a new lease on life. And they're now just stuck, as you say, with all that trauma. So their only option is to actually take a breath. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I did kind of love that, that David Tennant finally gets like a happy ending. He, he gets to just, just chill and hang out with his bestie and, 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 Take the occasional sneaky sit trip in the TARDIS because I love how he was like, "What would the doctor be without that?" He took a sneaky trip with Rose, and Donna was like, "Wait, what?" (laughs) Sorry, did we do what? What is interesting is what does this mean for the future of the show? I don't think we're going to be getting like David Tennant popping up in every other episode, but this definitely leaves the The possibility that. If they want to do an episode where it is the uh, David Tennant's Doctor just going on an adventure with Rose, that could happen. Or oh, shooting Gatler's Doctor needs help. I think they have kind of said that they've they've parked that Doctor. I don't know if they do intend on doing anything, but yeah, hope, hopefully it's not not split the fandom and people just carry on watching and enjoying the show and they'll go, well, I want to see the, I want to see David Tennant again. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I, I'm not expecting it to see him, to see him pop up all the time. Um, but it, it does feel like a, a, a tantalizing opportunity there. They've definitely left it open that he, he could be back. And honestly, I would be surprised if David Tennant is never in another episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. Just because he, he just seems to love it so much. Yeah, bless him. He's an he's an absolute trooper, isn't he? Um, I I would say like even you know wrapping our head around the logistics of it, I I really enjoyed seeing the two dots together. Like the the glimpse of of shooting at was Doctor. I absolutely loved. Like I'm a big fan of sex education, so I was very excited when I heard the casting announcement. I just thought he's going to be amazing. Um, when they were playing the game, though, I did turn to my wife and said like. Where's the cricket doctor when you need him? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, but like, like I, I I said before that the the final part of the episode was was not my favorite. Although I loved what I saw of the fifteenth Doctor, and it has made me so much more excited yeah. for the, the Christmas yeah. special that we've still got to come in a couple of weeks. Um, like it's crazy that. It's going to be a sassy doctor. We've had these like three very exciting episodes, and there's still we've not done for this year. There is still more Doctor Who to be excited about this year. In literally fourteen days from or recording, even sooner when this comes out. Yeah, yeah, we're the real time travelers. Thirteen days. Um, I think this episode was ended on the most but... heartwarming scene, though. That was the perfect way to end this in the garden. <laughs> yeah, I love the I love the idea that the doctor's given him a mole's uh, force <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like I like the moles, and Donna's like, you like the moles. That does feel like a very doctor thing to do. Like, no, they they, they are just as just as entitled to their life as you are. Um 
yeah, the, the, so the, the the big game of catch at the end. I I wanted it to be harder to defeat the toy maker than to just throw a ball off a building. Yeah, but um, again, at the time, I just went with it. I'm watching back, and I, and yeah, I think my wife said I thought that they were going to really utilize the fact that there are now two doctors. Yeah, as as something that couldn't have been done with one, and I guess they didn't. Um, hopefully, it, they think of something. I, I don't know. It, it kind of cool does. The toy maker comes back. There it does a... fit the whole the first game simplicity of it. Though. Yeah, there was the line, wasn't there, where uh, Kate Lethbridge Stewart says, "Like, where, where are my men?" And he's like, "Oh, I think they're still falling." <laughs> so when they threw the ball off the off the side and were like, "You lose." I thought yeah, I thought it was gonna harken back to that and he was gonna go, no, actually it's not touched the ground yet, and he was gonna like dive off after it. I thought you, oh I thought you were gonna say like it landed on one of their corpses. I'm like, <laughs> oh fucking hell <laughs> Jesus. But that was like a point. Um and and again, my, my wife made this point as well. Like she Kate Lethman Street made the point of saying, I want the names of all those staff. Like they're acknowledging the death of people and, and again going back to the um uh the, the 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 first episode the the star beast um the wrath warriors um they were acknowledged you know that the, they were acknowledged like it's it it's not just been like throwaway disposable characters like death has meaning and consequences and i really like that i think the last thing we need to talk about because we've not actually mentioned it is um Bonnie Langford. How have we not talked about Bonnie Langford? No, I was gonna say, I was gonna <laughs> say the toy makers dancing to the Spice Girls. <laughs> that that felt so John Sims master. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it really did. That yeah, I, I it, and you know, my favorite <laughs> just, version of the master, just... <laughs> but but it, it it felt it felt very very kooky crazy like that um, when he's dancing to um, is it Scissor Sisters he dances to? Yeah, that yeah, um, the toy maker dances to Spice Girls. The master oh yeah to Scissor Sisters. I can't decide whether you should live or die. Just. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, it was it was very count, very over the top, and it absolutely did harken back to uh to the, to that. Um with Why the... do the worst enemies and the most dangerous enemies always dance? Just makes you look unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was the fact that the doctor was just stood there like terrified while while Neil Patrick Harris's toy makers just dancing to spice up your life. Yeah, the um, but uh, with with this one as well though, they they showed just how powerful and un- unstoppable he was. Like they tried to shoot him and it turned into rose petals. They would get up to me and turn them into balls. Like, um, honestly, I can't remember what stopped anyone from shooting the master during his dance. <laughs> I feel like that would br- the ball the turning the guys into balls were a little bit brutal and it just wasn't. It was- terrifying yeah like they just ran at him turned into balls and it moved on i was like just like dude this guy is just like dismantled their dna that reminded me of thanos when he's got the reality stone yeah yes the toy maker is the reality stone yeah pretty much like he has the powers of the reality stone 
Um, I think my favourite part of this episode were in the Toymaker's Domain. Uh, and It was really cool. Classic horror. Yeah, the, the, the creepy dolls, especially the babies. Don't like dolls. That, that, that was weird. That was, yeah. Me. Um, but the puppet show, I think, might be my favourite part of this episode. I, I know he's been criticised by some. I thought I really, really liked it. I'm, I'm absolutely with you. I, I thought it was a really fun way of trying to, like, mess with, like, break the doctor, mess with Donna, a cute way of, of showing what had come before. Where's my Rory puppet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Rory suffered an awful fate as well, and he's not yeah. mentioned. Um, but he just wanted to show the girls, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that bit did, like, capitalise on, obviously, the Doctor is not at peace, but fakely at peace with how things ended. Amy lived out a life in the 60s. Um, Clara's living her last moments over and over again. But the toy maker's like, no. Yeah. And it, what you said earlier... Well, about that's like, all right, the, then. Yeah. What you said earlier about the accent slipping and the accent yeah. changing, I think like when he's when he's narrating the story, it's his German accent, and then he keeps switching into like a very heavy American accent, like heavier than Neil Patrick Harris's actual accent. I'm like, well, that's all right then. Um, which is the most memeable shot, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because his his face looks so so distinctive when he's shouting that as well. Uh, that there have been many Red Dwarf memes made with that shot in uh, my Red Dwarf group, uh, Escape Pod, Red Dwarf Smeg posting on Facebook. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I heard that um, that Bonnie Langford was coming back as Mel. I thought it was going to be in the the, the new season proper. I wasn't expecting this special. Um, and that was, you know, that was really that was really fun for me. I thought Mel was really good. Yeah, I love when when previous companions are shown to have like to to, to be carrying on the work of yeah. the doctor in a way. So so she's working for Unit, and uh, we said earlier that like uh, Mickey and uh, Martha got married, and then they were working for Torchwood, I believe. Was it yeah. Torchwood they were working for? Yeah, not? yeah. Um, and uh, obviously Sarah Jane was uh, was carrying on doing Doctor investigations, and she got a name drop in this episode as well, didn't she? Uh, that's the point where I almost cried, when, like, because obviously Elizabeth Sladen died many, many years ago, but the 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 mythology has sort of kept her alive, but when they was like, Sarah Jane's gone. <laughs> yeah. That Honestly, that, it, it brought it all back, and I got quite upset. Just because I know you made notes, do you have any other notes specifically? I feel like we've not I don't know what else in this episode I particularly want to talk about, but I feel like we've not covered it as as in depth of it as it deserves. So, have you got any other notes about this that are worth? Um, I thought there was some some cool little hits. Like, I I really enjoyed when the the toy maker said like I've made a jigsaw out of your history, like that that was tantalising as to what it meant by that. Um, there was a, a, a lot of these are just sort of little jokes that I made. Um, <laughs> the bit where like you know the 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 shop shrank down yeah i, I just went it's dan's house <laughs> oh, 
when the have either of you guys watched Jojo's Bizarre Adventure? No. No. So uh, if hopefully someone your listeners <laughs> has and knows what I'm all about in the uh I guess that uh well this would be the second season but the third part there is a bit where they they sort of meet up with like a gambler and a gamer and the bit where they're doing a very simple card game with very high stakes made me think of that um so hopefully uh someone appreciates that there was some great Um, social commentary early on um like with the, the 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 newsreader it's like they want to control us with these, with these uh, yeah. bands, and and I'm not going to let. And it felt very back scenes, very well. Yes, um, and and that there was all the stuff that the toy maker was saying about like the the game of the 21st century is that the people shout and they type, and everyone wants to be right, and now everyone is. As I say, there was um, the bit that made me think uh, old man yells at cloud was when the doctor was going, oh, well, now everybody has screens. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. That was the one bit that I, that I was like, okay, boomer. Yes, everyone has screens. Uh, in- interesting for a, a, a television show to have a problem with television. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is, um, I like. I, it's weird to like, to have have a, an advert that you enjoy but at the minute there's an advert that the bbc are running um that is basically saying like tv doesn't have to be all bad um and oh, i love i love that actually that's really cute the, the the one where like maybe tv doesn't give you square eyes and it depends what's on it because tv can be informative and educational and entertaining and uh, not just not just nonsense um and it, it it felt like because that advert was on like just before this episode that it yes. it was making the exact opposite point. Um, I also yeah. thought that the the idea of the, like the, this first image that was ever broadcast uh, it is now like residually in all of our minds. I thought that was a, like a really like tantalizing idea, and was defeated a bit too easily. Like we shut down the satellite, and now it's all okay. But that was only that was only a link in the chain. Yeah, um, it was it was only ended when they got rid of the toy maker. Um, but but yeah, like I, what's great about Doc Two is is when they're able to like make something innocuous scary. So going back to Blink, which Ben mentioned, like statues you see everywhere. Uh, going back to the the Autons from from the seventies, yeah. like mannequins. Um, but the, and so the idea of well, oh, everyone's got a screen, and we can and make it felt like that's what they were going for. But it felt a little bit more like oh, this this generation is yeah. always oh, more accusatory than trying to make an everyday thing scary um but ironically like david tennant's doctor already like did that better with the coronation episode yeah i i thought that that was a better way of making screens scary when they were sucking people's faces off <laughs> oh i love a better sucking face hungry yeah like that that was creepy um I, the, the giggle was creepy as well um but yeah like I, I i just felt like they they got rid of that bit of the threat a bit a bit too 
early on. Um, but yeah, the the idea of making everyday things scary is like it's classic horror. Uh, it, it's it's like Hitchcockian. Um, it like you know he made the birds like if you're gonna make something scary, something that you see like any day that you leave the house is birds. So if you can make people terrified, <laughs> just of don't leave. Like just that, don't leave the house for a week. <laughs> Um, and again, even in uh, you know Psycho, it's about a, a like a slasher killer, but it's one of the first films that made the crazy killer just seem like a normal guy, a normal, unassuming, just dude. a normal man. Yeah, just an innocent man. <laughs> just innocent man. <laughs> Have you seen that clip of Hackerman Hog off of CBeebies saying we're just innocent men? Yes, that's where it came from. I wasn't sure if, if it was like a purposeful reference or not. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, my wife showed that to me. Uh, what, uh, again, I just want to sing her praises. Being like, honestly the the best Doctor Who watching companion. This is a hundred percent her idea. She came in as I was rewatching it, and she was. When he was using his screwdriver to make um, Stooky Bill appear on all the screens, she was so certain that he was going to point his camera at the at sorry point the screwdriver at the camera and then have that image just take over the whole TV screen. So oh, he's yeah, affected that, our screen that as would well. Be cool. And when she said that, I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure Doctor Who's ever quite been that meta, but I think I would have loved it. It's come. It's come close. Uh, there was a there was a point where they go back to 1963, and there's a television saying, "And now for our new uh, sci-fi series." And then the TV's turned off. <laughs> oh, is, is that in, is that in classic Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, the last Dalek story. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I do need to watch, especially now it's all on iPlayer, and I don't know how long it's going to stay on iPlayer. I want to watch as much as I can. Well, if uh, I'm happy to sort of privately give you some recommendations, we we have got some from uh, a guy that my wife works with. Is like he collects all the DVDs that come out of the classic uh, episodes, and she she said like, well, you know, which which should we watch? And just wanting like a couple of the best stories, and they were like, okay, so for the first Doctor, this one, this one, and this one. For the second Doctor, that that one's a monster, that one, and that one, and that one. And like, oh my god, like half of Doctor Who is just recommended. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I want is a ranking of the specials. I think, so for me, I'd say... Uh, I, I, I think the Wild Blue Yonder, I think, is my number one. And then... Like even I even though I think I, in some ways I've been more critical of the giggle, and like I I just thought the uh, um I I just thought Star Beast was like a fun time. I think I might still rank the giggle second and the uh, the Star Beast number three. But again, I had a great time with all of it. Because I'm with you on Wild Blue Yonder. That's my number one. Uh, then I'd switch the other two. So uh, Star Beast number two, the giggle number three. But again, like it's just been so great to to have yeah. the, this pairing of the Doctor Donna back. Yeah, definitely. I think I actually agree with TC and the Wild Blue Yonder first, then the Giggle, and then the Star Beast. 
No, we all we all love Wild Blue Yonder. Yeah, it's it's just pure Doctor Who. Yeah, and it's what like like I said for for many years, like my excitement for this show just wasn't quite there, and it was fine. I was happy to just be like, okay, maybe it's not for me anymore. There are other people who are still loving it. And like I said, there are people that I work with that, who had never watched it before who got really into it. Um, but for the first time in many, many years, I just cannot wait to re-watch an episode that I've just watched. Like, and all three of these, I I will re-watch before Christmas Day. Okay, so before I take us out, TC, have you got any shout-outs you want to do? Um, you know what? As I absolutely hope that my mother-in-law, Chris Malone, is listening to the show. I want to shout out the fact that she has published, I believe now, five books. So I want to uh, I want to shout out uh, I want to shout out her and uh, and the the books that she's um, written. Um, he definitely knows the name of. He's just going to she... Google it just to make sure he's got the names correct. Oh, a, a little bit. The uh, there's there's Zaid, uh, which I believe is the first one that we've that we've read, and she's written um, like a, a sort of a, a trilogy. It's like um, hashtag stop the glitch is definitely is definitely one of them those are the those are the ones that i want to <laughs> that i want to uh just double check and then um what genre are they so i would say they are in the the sci-fi genre okay zade is sort of the main sci-fi of it is the fact it's set in about a hundred years time and there's a sort of um a eugenics theme to theme to it like there's there's a sort of children are they've done something to it at a very young age so that they present so i think there's uh like sparkling eyes that you're sort of better and so there's a whole eugenics thing there the the sort of the the glitch series that's um a bit more sort of a classic sort of dystopian sci-fi thing and then uh there's then there's a completely different book. Um, I think it's called uh, uh, School Inspector Co- uh, Calls, Who is the Fool in the School? And that's just like very contemporary sort of satire because uh, she's got an education background. So that sort of fills into the, the books. And I don't know if there's anything more coming, but she's she's not the sort of person that you can stop easily. So yeah, <laughs> if people are willing to go on Amazon, check that out. I'm hoping it might be... Uh, a new favourite for some people. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And obviously, thank you for joining us today. It has been a pleasure, I hope. I've loved it. Thank you for having me. And if if, if you're willing to have me back, brilliant. No, no fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> of course. Um, so, yeah, thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can email notmpod at gmail.com or message us on any socials we are at news of the nerd obviously the best thing you can do for us is subscribe rate on your podcast app of choice especially itunes as that really does help us get up the rankings there the most beneficial thing you can do for us is word of mouth tell your friends 
TC's mom and mother-in-law, please tell the other mums we are <laughs> wanting more mums on the show. More mums! We want more mums. Uh, but yeah, thank you. It's been great. And go and enjoy all the wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey stuff happening on Christmas Day. My arms are too long. <laughs> it was the fake Jason all along! <laughs>